you have one more claustrophobic. It, it's crazy. Um, so I shoot some stuff on camera at home in my one room. And so I have to completely take apart my room, put things outside in the public space of the complex, like outside my door, on my balcony. I'm taking st I'm, I'm just crazy to set up the room. And it's it's just too much. It's and just, then you got to tear it down. I, I, I reset I, up your room I gotta, and then do it all over well, again. Well, I got I to get everything out of the way so that I have my beautiful shot. Then I've got to set up my lights and blah, blah, blah. That, and then I've got to shoot it. And then I don't have a producer, so I got to shoot it. Then I got to test it, put the card on the computer, watch it. Because like, you can't tell when you're looking in the camera whether it's a good shot looks or different. not. Yeah, it looks different. Then it's like, okay, uh, the shoot's over. Oh, now I got to put everything back. I got to take my mattress, which is a big mattress, the double mattress myself. I got to like... Drag it outside. I've got it's a it's a mess. It is a mess. Um, yeah. So I want to get something that's easier than that, where you can have a kind of a dedicated space to your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I that's the way to do it. So so the the video that I'm working on right now, I actually figured out a different. I have I have two different sets within my one room. I'm like maximizing what I'm doing, um, and I figured out a new way to shoot at home. Um, which requires a little bit less teardown, but not really, but I think it's a nicer shot. What are you doing? Well, for one, I'm using the outside sunlight as my key light, as my main light, and then I'm filling with a second light on the other side of my face. But I'm basically, I, so I, I'm basically, so this side of my face is bright, then from, from the outside light, then this side has light coming in there. But the key thing is that I'm, my back is not parallel to a wall. My back is facing a corner. So you have the perspective going like this behind me. And I think that's visually attractive when other people do that. Like, so you'd have a little more depth in your shot there's a ton there's okay. much more depth that depth there's stuff out of focus because i'm in focus the stuff behind me is dark and out of focus but you can still see it um and i think it's a more attractive what, what i've been doing previous to that is close the close the blinds and use only artificial light but i think this sunlight thing is actually better i think natural light looks better it looks i've been trying to figure out how i can get a like a little sunroof or something set up in here that it could you It'd be a lot of work, but I think it'd be cool. Yeah. And sunlight can look really nice. Now it's not it's not as it's not as dark in the background as it is with my when I use only artificial lights, because only artificial lights I put um so it, you know what barn doors are. Yeah, right. You have barn doors. Yeah. So in in instead of barn doors, because because I because I'm using a clip shop light, I basically put cardboard around the light. And so the cardboard has a lot of length to it, extending out. I, I have like a foot of length. So I'm creating a light tunnel that's just projecting onto me. And so it's barely getting to the back wall at all. So a I'm like- too focused. Yes. So, it's, so I'm bright and the, and the back is dark. Whereas in this other setup with the sunlight, you know, I, obviously I can't focus the sunlight to that degree. So it's much more, the back is darker than me, but it's still lit, you know? So- yeah, playing around with it. And now if I move, I'm going to have to figure out it in a new spot. But it's one of the things I'm looking at when I go to look at places is, all right, what, what is the vibe in here? What can I do in here? Um, but you can't really figure that out in the five minutes that the landlord gives you the tour. You got to be there. and yeah, It's kind of hard to visualize your setup, how you're going to place things. And it's definitely going to change being in a new space yes. and having a little more creative freedom with the room. It's all important. 
it's all important. And it's a changing game. I kind of love that process, though. I love it Constantly awesome. tweaking stuff, being like, ah, oh, this doesn't look great. Oh, I need to change this. I need to get some better lights in here. I like that. But this setup that you have right now, I mean, you've you've now been on this for a while. I mean, this is the same basic setup as last time that I had that we were I was here. Did we have the curtains when you were on this? Uh, yeah, I was like, I think you said I was the third guest third with guest. the red curtains. Okay. So. Curtains, I'm, I've got some ideas. I'm going to start changing things moving forward. Oh. This is pretty much the same setup, though, that I've had since I've been in this building. The right. only change was, the biggest change was the desk was over here and the table was actually this way instead of this way. Okay. So we were sitting across from each other and then the TV was on that wall instead of this wall. Okay. So I switched all that around, threw up the curtains. I, I got plans. Oh, uh, you got some got better some mics stuff. though. You haven't always had this mics. Yeah, I started out with SM58s. Okay. Those were my beginner ones. Oh, okay. Those Pretty are, decent mic. And the SM70 is the next step up on that line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So thanks for the tips uh, about the mic. So Did you get it? Yes. Okay. So, um, the it's funny that you brought up the preamp and i'm like no one else was telling me about this the next day I'm ha i had the same conversation with an, another video producer i'm like hey i'm thinking of getting the sm7b he's like you know you need a preamp for that mic it's like the same i'm like all right two people consecutive days have told me the same thing apparently i need a preamp for this mic i didn't know that but so i got a fed head i think which is i think what that's you, what i had yeah i think that's what you said in the email um and uh so i recorded now some of the audio came out distorted i think because i was like talking super like on top of it mm -hmm. um i'm not sure why i gotta work on that maybe just see the problem is i can't like i have to look at the camera when i'm talking i can't monitor levels so it's 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 hard and like it's like well i, I listen back to the audio very briefly when i when i test it and say okay it's a good to go but i'm not super dialed in because like i said i've got to tear down my whole space i've got all this stuff going on so after I had given it the stamp of approval, okay, I'm going to tear down. Then the next day I listened to the audio. I'm like, you know, it's kind of distorted. So I assume I just, I had my levels up too high, even though my levels were only on like three of my camera out of 10. But I think that preamp really boosts you, you know? Oh, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. So um, that's okay. It's my, it's my first time with this mic. I'll, I'll say I'm still going to use that audio for this video. The, the audio is not perfect, but I need to just get out more videos. So screw it. I'm just going to go with it. And other than that, though, the, the mic is great and, and I love it. I've got, uh, I don't know, if, I don't think I have this specific arm, but I have the one that's like 90 bucks. I forget what it's called. It's one of the more popular ones. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so I upgraded my mic and I'm stoked about that. Sweet, man. Audio makes a huge difference. It makes it a huge difference. This is, and, and the thing is, I preach this to other beginning filmmakers that I meet and then I don't follow, I don't practice what I preach because I always tell them, People will sit through crappy video. They won't sit through crappy audio. This is true. We know this. It's like there are psychological experiments because bad audio is like very stressful and it bothers people. Whereas well, especially if you're listening to it with headphones on and it's directly in your ear and you can't, you hear that little clicking or something in the background and you can't shut that off. And you're super annoyed. Yeah. Just turn the video off. And, and so I've been using mediocre mics at home. So I'm hoping this will help me out. Also the fact that I need to play to my strengths and a lot of people like the sound of my voice. So I really need to go in on this because that could be like one of my advantages. Hey, people like my voice, you know? So, I mean, it would definitely be awkward if they said, yeah, we don't, we don't like your voice. <laughs> we need to, we need to change something up here. Yeah. That'd that, be a problem. That would be a problem. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's my gear, my gear update. Uh, my social media update. Last time we talked about, you're like, ah, oh, bro, you got to do shorts. You got to get Instagram, TikTok. 
Okay, there, so those were the three things. Uh, TikTok, I am not, still not on because of the, it's just so controversial. Fair and enough. I'm, I'm, I don't know how to deal with it. Um, I've put out a few shorts on both of my channels and I've, I'm on Instagram. I've only posted twice to Instagram. Instagram does not come naturally to me the way Twitter does, um, which really shows that I'm more of a, 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 more of a text person than I am a picture person, which is not great for a video producer. Cause if you're a video producer, you should be all over Instagram. Um, but, but at least I'm on it and I'm figuring it out and you know, that's a big step. It's a hard thing to overcome just the creating short form content like that. At least it was for me, dicing up videos, trying to keep everything in context and not take people out of context. That's huge. Cause if, I mean, especially with this, if you have a two hour conversation and you're creating 60 second clips, what, what 60 seconds? Well, how do you, how do you get the full idea in that 60 seconds? But a lot of times you're just going with like, fuck it, 15 seconds. You, you put out I like 15 second shorts all the time. I mean, I see them all the time. You're just like, this is what he said, quick two sentences, that's it, that's the video. Because if the contrast is, I can take 15 seconds and it makes sense, or I have to take a minute and a half to get the full picture, you gotta go 15 seconds. Right. Because people, for whatever reason, especially on YouTube shorts right now, the 15 seconds is what hits. If it's longer, not so much, 45 seconds is kind of a sweet spot too. But anything over that, and on YouTube you can only go sixty seconds. Right. I think TikTok you can go to ten minutes now, oh. but I haven't I haven't tried that yet. But you're doing the same videos across all the platforms. So if one of them limits you to sixty seconds, you're not going to make something different, right? You, yeah. Yeah, I haven't started branching out to where every piece of content on each platform is unique. I try to set it up so that if I post this one thing on Facebook this day, I don't post that to YouTube or TikTok that same day. I'll wait a day or two. You were telling me that, but. Sometimes time just gets away from you. You're like, I got to just post. I just got to put it out there. But was Andy doing all that social media for you before? No, no. All Andy did, shout out to Andy. He's listening. I don't think he's listening right now, but he was awesome. Great guy. He just controlled the camera switching and he would monitor the audio levels for me. Everything else was all back end. Me just punched over a computer at like midnight, cranking okay. stuff out. Okay. But we had a good dynamic going. He was, it was fun having him in studio, especially to pull stuff up like we were talking about. Yeah. Something, if we were talking about something controversial or if we needed a stat, he could pull that up on the monitor and then we could all look at it. Nice. Makes a difference. Yeah. Having a team around you definitely is beneficial in a lot of ways. And also you probably just were able to, even like beyond the technical stuff he was doing, you could just like bounce ideas off him, talk about it. You know, it was, sometimes when you're out on, on your own, he's like, am I why am I even doing this? Like, is this even worthwhile or am I slaving away for no reason? Then you have another person who's like, hey, dude, we're doing awesome. This is great. You're like, oh yeah, well, this is awesome. We're doing great, you know? Um, I've had, just because I've had so much experience just being all by myself and like, you know, basically thinking just that, like, I'm slaving away. Like, this video just bombed. Like, What is it all for? What, what, what's going on? Then when you're with someone else, you're, you've got a dynamic going on. You pick each other up, you know? You keep going, you know? So... Well, especially if somebody says something crazy, I could just look at Andy and be like, what? What is happening right now? And then we'd laugh and then we'd get back to the conversation. And that was like a fun dynamic to have. Oh, as well. yeah. Nice. The tunnel vision thing is a problem when you're creating something alone. Like you're talking about, especially where we're doing this thing and it's kind of separate and you go in and you're editing and you're creating your video. You're not bouncing any ideas off anybody. You're saying, okay, I think this will work, hopefully. And then you're not going to know until you put it out there and hopefully it gets some traction or it flops. Right. That's your only metric. But you're doing pretty well, dude. What are you up to? 800 subscribers on YouTube? Uh, 
I don't know yet. I, yeah, something like that, maybe. Something so, like that. High 700s, maybe? Yeah. So Steady progress. Are you getting close to 4,000 watch hours? Are you going to be able to get monetized? or? You, yeah, we're working there. <laughs> the subscribers is the challenging part. I only had 100 subscribers for the first three years. Wow. I think, actually, let me rephrase that. I think it took me three years to get the first 100. And then I think I've gotten the rest of them in the past six months. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, and you're, you're definitely having some videos that have a lot of comments. Um, some shorts, some stuff on Instagram that I'm seeing. Um, you're definitely having the select videos that get a lot of, you know, people arguing. People arguing. People That's arguing. People calling arguing each other names. Yeah. Um, no, but, but, oh, man, the TikTok comments are ruthless. Worse, TikTok, worse than Instagram. Worse, worse than anything I've seen. People will just say whatever in the TikTok comments. YouTube, they can be a little funny. Instagram kind of gets dicey sometimes too, but TikTok is just people going at it. Uh, you, you, dude, right after our last episode, <laughs> oh, you had you had the mask short about you running around town and and people <laughs> and people telling you uh, to put on a mask, and you, but but when people responded in the comments, you jumped in and you started throwing haymakers. <laughs> After I, I mean, I thought you were like, oh, above it all, you were telling me, oh, don't get bogged down in the comments. I go home, I see you throwing haymakers about masks. I'm like, dude, this is not 2021. Let it go. Come on, man. I, the, it's such a weird one. The mask thing is still so weird because people are holding on to that with a death grip that they just want to ride that thing until they, they go under. Yeah. They just cannot seem to let that one go. I don't understand it. If you want to say... Hey, I know what the science says, and I don't care. I like wearing masks, and I want to do that, and it makes me feel better. I support that 100%. It's the people that adamantly believe that it does. It's, it's saving people. Right. You need to wear the mask because it makes a huge difference, and without it, we're screwed. Right. Those people are the ones that get me, because you're just choosing to do that. And you weren't letting it go in the comments. You were fighting well, back. Well, that a little bit. Andy told me I need to start commenting more, and I tried it. I think I probably tried it after you and tried it for maybe a couple weeks, but I just can't do it. I just can't do it. It's not for me. Being in the comments, I think it feels disingenuous to the guest because then I'm engaging in the conversation after they are. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't really have the opportunity to engage unless they're watching me post all this. And I couldn't really get over that. So I've kind of stepped back. I don't really comment anymore. I tried it. I gave it a solid month. And then I'm like, no, nah, this is not, it's not going to work out for me. Okay. Yeah, That no, that's legit. But it does make a difference. Commenting definitely helps get people engaged. Right. That's the problem. And as you comment, more people respond back, and that triggers the algorithm to show the video to more people because there's more total comments. Um, it's the name of the game. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, either way is fine. By the way, I like your, your little, uh, I don't know, your sign, your glow sign right there. And what I don't like is Rogan's sign that's enormous behind his head. What is he doing? It looks terrible, bro. I like it, actually. I'll be honest. I kind of like the contrast. Really? Yeah. See, I think it distracts from that is a subtle, nice branding on the side. The thing with Rogan is that- It's, the, it's like the whole background. And it, it makes the sign the star. He's supposed to be the star. The, your sign is not the star. It's like, I can't look at him because I've got to look at this neon thing behind him. I'm like, what's going on? To be know. fair, I don't actually watch that much of his content. I listen to most of it. I'm not really seeing the background. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like this. I, this is super subtle. It's, it, it's not the first not thing you see. Yeah. It's just a nice little thing in the background. You're the star, not 
not, you know, text, not words, you. <laughs> so that's my take on that. It is a cool design, though. I think it helps just because then people can see somebody pops in, they can see or just catches the video. They can see what it is. Right. I definitely think branding is important. That's something I'm still working on, too. Okay. I mean, yeah, the standard YouTube thing is to put like your little watermark in the lower right, you know, but that that seems like old style YouTube. It doesn't seem like people are doing that that much anymore, like, you know, electronically putting it in and, and editing um, or having like, I guess it's called a bug. You put your bug in your live stream. Um, but yeah, I think this is better. That This looks really nice. Well, yeah, I think that, I mean, the platforms are so all over the place now because they're all competing for that short form content. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the game. Everybody wants to be the next TikTok. And so I think there's kind of an, interesting shift right now across all of them trying to figure out carve your own space in that too and how do you think reels are performing in that regard i mean it helps have you noticed any traction from what you've posted the shorts or anything nothing yet uh, well th no the shorts on youtube uh one of them did well one of them got 1300 um, which seems to be like a magic number because i look at a lot of years and they get exactly 1300 i'm like what's with 1300 and it might be a coincidence. But yeah, 1300 is a lot for that channel. But that channel, most videos I have on any one is like 390. So all of a sudden I put out a short, it's got 1300. I was stoked. Uh, the other one I put out also got like 500. So yeah, they were getting more than my full length videos. Um, I don't know if they really got me any subscribers. They didn't get me any comments, but at least people were seeing them. And the average view duration is about, uh, they were both like 58 second videos. Um, and the average view duration was in like the high 20s. So, you know, 50%, not great, but better than some other videos I've made. So, so yeah, I think it's worth my time. I'm going to keep doing it. So th those were shorts that I'd made for videos that are, had already been put out. This one that I'm working on right now. So now I'll stay current where I'll put out the full length and then I'll figure out how to chop it. And then a couple of days later, I'll go with the short form, and, you know. I think, how often are you posting? Is it? Fairly frequent or frequent? very infrequently. This I, the video I'm working on right now is for my journalism tutorials channel, which I haven't produced a video in two years for. So you get you get killed. I mean, the algorithm—that's uh, the killer. The, you see, the thing is, you put out constant content. You do what the beast wants, and so that's one of the reasons the algorithm is going to be much more favorable to you than me. But the type of first of all, I have two different projects going on simultaneously. I'm both a news reporter and I'm trying to do these journalism tutorials which is hard to create videos on both with any frequency. Plus each video that I make is super complicated. So even if I only had one project, it's still, I wouldn't put out much content. So these things are, are all problems. Um, and I know it because the, the number one thing that's gonna decide whether the algorithm shows you the video on YouTube is have you watched this person's video in the very recent past? And what did you do when you watched it? Did you stay on or did you click away? If you watch someone's video in the very recent past and you gave it at least a little bit of time, if, if that person puts out something three days later, it's showing up on your homepage. It's showing up in your suggested. It's going to be there. But by definition, no one has watched me. Well, not by definition, but very few people have watched me in the recent past because I put out a video every four months, you know, and that's a problem. Well, that's the hard part about actually being involved in the news is you have to put in the work behind make a good story like you have to your production value is insane you're putting a lot of work into that and so to crank one out every day or every three days would be insane it's especially not, as a one-man crew it's not going to happen i don't know how to i don't know how to get around this um I, I i i don't yeah i don't have a solution to it um it would also be nice if my videos because i'm so hyper local centric like 
I don't know that anybody outside of Humboldt County would care about my Humboldt County news stories. That's that's why I have this other project, which is just generic teaching journalism. Anybody who's reporting news in English, it could benefit on TV. You know, um, it's not limited to Humboldt County at all. Like I'm not trying to target Humboldt County. I'd be great if people here watched it, but uh, you know, it's just for beginning news reporters. You know, um, is that the channel that you'd like to focus more on? Is building out that and kind of building up these series of how-to videos? It's the it's the channel that I think can actually become successful and possibly make me money, that I have a clear vision for. The vision basically is that, well, so for background for people who are not following this, so I have a channel in which I, it's called, the name of the channel is TV News Writing Tips, where I give tips for TV news reporters how to write better stories. Um, because it is one of the easiest and fastest ways for people to produce better stories. If you watch the, the news reports on Redwood News, North Coast News, the local TV stations where all the reporters are basically new, the stories are terribly written. Um, and so a lot of the value of their stories is lost and degraded because even when they have interesting information, even when they have something that could go like Humboldt County viral, the power of the story is completely lost because they don't know how to what words to say when they're recording their voice track. So, and the thing is, you can get better at this without spending any money on cameras. You don't need any new lights. You just, it's, it's a knowledge thing, right? It's, it's a skill that does, is not dependent on gear. And it's, you can get better pretty quickly because my approach to it is all rules-based. I'm telling you rules of writing, and then I'm showing you how to write scripts that apply those rules. So you don't have to have amazing amounts of talent just by following my rules that these reporters are not aware of, and that when I started my career, I wasn't aware of, but now I am. Just by following my rules, you can get much better. So one of the visions that I have is that, okay, people will start discovering me, they'll start um, watching my videos, and then the way that reporters get jobs and get better jobs as they move from one market to another is they produce what's called a reel, when you're a TV news reporter, that's just your best work that you put together into a video. And that's the thing that the guy at the next job is going to watch, that he's going to watch your video. He's going to see whether he thinks you're good looking, whether you have a good personality on camera, whether the stories you produced were informative, whether, they'll, whether they're well-written, whether they're edited. But it's basically this like condensed portfolio. So you send your reel, which is like a five-minute video, to the job you're trying to get. And that's more important than anything else about you. I mean, when you're working in TV news, that's what's going to get you the job is your reel. I mean, yeah, they'll check your references, maybe make sure you're not a total punk, but more or less, it's all about your reel. So my vision is if I can start getting an audience, eventually I'll start telling my audience, hey, when you're producing your reel, send me your script and I'll edit it for you and I'll rewrite it and I'll send it back to you. And that's the story that you'll put on your reel that's the story that you'll broadcast on TV that day, but that's the story that you'll put on your reel so that you can impress the next person you're trying to get a job with. Um, that's a vision. I don't know whether that's going to happen. I would, I'd have to get a lot of people following me, though, first, because I'm never going to get, even if I got monetized, even, most of the people who are monetized, you know, they make 100 bucks a month. It, it's just, it's like, whoa, I got monetized. Yeah, but... You, what does that actually mean? Just from being monetized, very few people are making significant. You just have to be really popular. And I'm, it's very, very unlikely I'm going to ever reach that point. But the, what a lot of YouTube instructors, people who tell you how to do YouTube, what they'll tell you is use your YouTube to then develop this springboard into this other way you're making money off your YouTube. 
which is th this would be my strategy. I tell my YouTube followers, hey, I'll rewrite your reel and you'll send me 50 bucks on Venmo. Have you thought about putting that out on Fiverr as like a subscription service that you could do? So I haven't been on Fiverr. I know it's a thing. Um, I'm hearing about it. I don't know. What's the pitch? Tell me what the deal is. Well, I've used it for a few things. Uh, for a very, for like three podcasts, I had a guy design thumbnails for little clips that I was clipping. And so it's basically a site where you can just hire people to pretty much do whatever. I had a guy help me build my website because I didn't want to invest any time in it. So I just paid some dude to build out the foundation. And then I built it up on top of that. You can have people, I had people design my new logo on there, the new podcast logo that was designed on Fiverr. It's really anything you can think of is probably on there in terms of somebody filling that service for you. It's all digital media though. It's like very digital media oriented, correct? Yeah, I don't think you could like hire somebody to come clean your house right. from that. But if it's an online thing that you need help with, they could do it. Design merch, design topics for your videos, I would assume, things like that. Edit okay. stuff. You can have people edit podcasts, edit scripts, edit things kind of like what you're talking about. That's what made me think of it. Okay, well, that's an idea. Um, yeah, I've just started hearing about it. I don't know. Is that what you would want to do? Endgame is kind of move away from creating videos and more just help people who are coming up? Well, I'll always probably want to produce news videos because I like producing news videos. But it, given my current situation, it's I don't fit in in the get a job at North Coast News as a TV news reporter. I just don't fit into that. So I'm going to be doing it on my site. How am I going to I don't see how I'm going to monetize my news site. Like, I, I don't see the vision. If someone could help me with that, that would be awesome. But I don't see the vision. So I've got to have something else. And I want to, you know, create something new on the internet. That's like, you know, that's what media, that's the dream. That's what media is right now, right? Are, are you interesting on the internet um, in, in a very general sense? So I want to be, and this is what I have to offer. Um, I, I think what I have to offer that this, I mean, I, I mean, I just look at these reporters and I, and I say, oh man, they, they, their stories could be so much better with so, with just some quick education, you know, which is why I have my channel, you know? Um, and so, but I have to convince them that indeed their stories can be get better with some quick education. They, they don't realize there are some people probably who want to get better as writers and don't know how. But there are other people who don't appreciate how important the writing is. And it is so important. Well, even more than that, I think there's a lot of people that don't realize they suck at what they do. There's probably a little of that. Um, there, there's probably a little of that. But, the, you know, the ones who are actually ambitious and are self-critical, those are the ones who are going to, you know, get better. Sometimes, you know, I hope they have an awareness that, hey, getting to be a better writer is important, you know? I mean, I... I like there's so many different aspects to video production, as you know, like th there's just, you know, there's so many things I need to get better at. But if, from, if you look at all the skills that go into making my videos, like a lot of times people will say, God, you know, it's so professional what you do. And it, it's not clear what specifically they're talking about, but I think they're talking about the writing because that's the thing that I, I separates me from, I think, a lot of other news reporters. Well, your writing style and your video editing style. I saw your most recent one about the trans stuff. Oh. And just the editing production on that was incredible. I couldn't do that. I mean, you have it harder than I do in a lot of ways because 
I've almost, you know, cut my hands off with this and that I can't edit anything because it's just this. So when I go to post, it's just cleaning up the audio. It's clipping stuff. It's doing stuff that doesn't really affect what is actually there. You have to come up with a story and then you have to go shoot it and you have to figure out, okay, what do I want for this background or in this shot or who am I going to talk to for this? I just have to show up here and press record and hope that maybe me and my guests have a great conversation. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, y your success is based on your personality. That That's success very loosely. But right. It's true. But still your appeal, let's put it like that, is based on your personality. You have a great personality. You're awesome on camera. Um, no, you, you, you're not doing some crazy editing, but you're, that is so valuable in media that people like you, right? But that is, that's, and, and you can't teach that because your personality is your personality. Um, and that's, I think, your, your biggest success. You know, that, that's your biggest strength, I should say. Yeah, that that video that I made um, about the drag scene, it was super complex to edit. Now, I did not uh, conduct any interviews, so that saved time there because usually conducting the interview is complicated and editing it is complicated So, because I was using all stuff that already existed. Um, but still, you had to sift through what you wanted to pull out of those videos. <laughs> Dude, uh, and I, I, that process of narrowing it down was crazy because I ended up, reviewing tons of stuff that at the end, once I figure out what the story is like, oh, I didn't need to spend six hours taking notes on that interview. It's irrelevant. I didn't know that at the time because I wasn't deep enough into the story. Um, I have a document of, um, so that story started, I was just going to do a story about growing pains and Lost Coast Populist. That was the beginning. I was like, okay, I'm going to do a story where I explain to people how there are these people outside, kind of like the media clique in Humboldt County that are doing something interesting and that are gaining a following and what are they doing and why is it interesting and how is it different? That was gonna be my initial thing. But once I saw that this drag thing just kept going on and on and on and seemed to have like new little things, I was like, this drag thing's kind of like pretty interesting and both of you guys are related to it. I mean, Donnie is, is the, one of the main- Donnie's in it. Donnie's Don in the trenches right now. Yeah, the, the story really wouldn't exist without Donnie. And then you started bringing on all these guests. Um, to, you know, you brought on Donnie, you brought on Bramwell, um, you brought on Donnie again, but basically talking to Donnie was, no, I didn't have to interview Donnie. I, I had hit your footage, you know? Um, and so that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to do this story. It's very hot in the culture war right now. Transgenderism and drag is like the number one thing in the culture war right now. It's, it's just having this moment of, I mean, a year ago, who the hell ever thought about all ages drag shows? I didn't. I didn't. The Eureka Drag Show in the fall was the first time I ever thought about all ages drag show. I never even heard of an all ages drag show. I mean, I've heard of drag shows, but and so and now it's just like my it's Twitter. Everywhere. My Twitter is just blowing up with all ages drag commentary. It's crazy. Um, so, anyways, that's when I why I decided to get into it. And yeah, because the story was about how the uh, it was. I made a video that was partially about all ages drag, but was also about how the media covered all ages drag locally. And so it was appropriate that I use media that already exists because then I'm showing you how the media is, I'm using their media to show you how they covered it. So. Did, were you worried about diving into that rabbit hole and covering that story? Um, I was worried about it from the perspective of the story required me to criticize my own tribe. Other news reporters in town 
are my tribe. Unlike Donnie, who stakes out a position as being confrontational and antagonistic to other news reporters, I am relatively friendly with other news reporters that I see around town. I don't, I'm not really friends with any of them, but when I see um, Mad River Union, Lost Coast Outpost, K-Mud Reporters, North Coast Journal, I, I say, hi, how's it going? Hey, I like this story that you did. Hey, I like this video. We have a friendly thing. It's not antagonistic at all. And so I was like, all right, if I report this story, that I, I have to talk about the media aspect of it because that's what's important to me. That's what I'm thinking about. That's what I, what I found so frustrating about the whole thing. So I'm going to have to say that I'm going to have to lay out what I believe is the case against the local media, and those are people that I'm friendly with, and that's going to be difficult. But at the same time, so there's this aspect of criticizing your own tribe, which is a global problem. Nobody wants to do it, including people in the drag scene. There are certainly people in the drag scene who must be aware of the fact that something went wrong at Jefferson. And what are they going to do? Are they going to tell that to a reporter? Are they going to tell that to Donnie in a news article? And when all of their friends are involved in drag, and this is their community that is comfortable for them and artistic and expressive and fun and interesting and dynamic, if they give a quote that says, hey, yeah, actually, this was not amazing. We shouldn't have done that. That's not going to be good for them. It's going to be terrible for them. That's why I give Kaylin Rivera an enormous amount of credit that he was willing to concede the minor point. Yes, it's a minor point, but at least he was willing to concede with you that there should not be tipping at an all-ages drag show. He criticized his own tribe. Now, he did it skillfully because he criticized them on the most minor point. He didn't criticize them on the major point. But, elite, but that's more than anybody else has done, and it's very difficult to do, and I give him a ton of credit for doing that. And I'm surprised that he did. And I wonder whether he caught flack for it. Um, it's possible that he did. I don't know whether he told people he went on your podcast. I don't know if his tribe watches your podcast, listens, who knows. But it is very difficult to criticize your own tribe. I was super nervous about that aspect of it, of criticizing the media. I think you're asking me, when you asked me this question, I think you're referring to just getting into the whole transgender, just the general anger and culture war stuff. No, I'm very confident and... and uh, secure in my uh, way of understanding this. Uh, I have to be open to constantly learning about it and changing my mind. But, you know, that I'm a horrible person and that I'm, you know, a bigot and hateful, no, I'm, I'm not going to take any of that seriously. I'm a very nice person. I have absolutely no ill intentions. And so people can say that stuff. Uh, unfortunately, the video kind of bombed. It didn't do that well. Um, some people watched it, some people shared it, but basically the people who shared it were all people who knew the details of what had occurred anyway because they were, they, they were already very angry about it. They're consuming alternative media. They're reading Lost Coast Populist. They're watching Lost Coast Populist. Um, they already understand that there's something wrong with the media. That is a big part of their understanding of the world. So I, I, I basically was preaching to the choir, which is really frustrating. I appreciate that those people watched it, but that was my goal was to kind of awaken people who don't realize that there's a problem with the media cross the aisle a little bit yeah and i don't think i accomplished that and so i'm bummed about that i naively thought when i started this podcast that i would be doing a lot of that that you would cross the aisle you would kind of bring people to these differing opinions and maybe we could take away things from each side 
and form a better opinion. I don't think that happens a whole lot. I think it does for some people. I think some people find your content and maybe it changes something in them. They get a little, a little context for something else and they can kind of change their view. A lot of people, I think they just stay in those bubbles and it's just that reinforcement of, well, I already lean this way, so I'm going to watch this content and it's just going to reinforce everything I already believe. And especially with something like drag, it is a polarizing topic. And so the people that are for it aren't going to necessarily go out of their way to listen to something that's attacking it in some sense. Well, but the, the thing is, is that my audience, right? I'm not Donnie, right? I don't have like this, you know, you know Donnie's going to attract a, a certain type of, of audience. I mean, I shouldn't say that because I, I'm not really... Yeah, I, I I guess that's not fair. I I shouldn't pigeonhole him like that. Um, well, you could say that his, him and his audience are being typecasted in a certain way, and, and you I, could agree with that or not. But that's what's happening, especially with the local media, is there's a branding that is being attached to Donnie and to Lasco's populist. Yeah. Um. But so what I'm saying is, my audience, I would think, is is much more. You know, like I have tons of progressives who follow me, so. For whatever reason, I thought that this this video was going to show up in their feed because they've watched my previous video and they were going to be like, oh, wow, I, I never realized, I never thought about it this way. And actually, I haven't seen this footage. And now that I see this footage, you know, I, I yeah, they're, they're, this kind of is a problem, you know, um, and that didn't happen. I'm not sure why it, it did very poor. It's it's had a slow trickle. It's never stopped. So there's it's still getting views. But the for whatever reason, at the beginning, it got, they call it velocity, which is how, how well it does at the beginning in beginning it didn't do well and i mean i i just i thought i had something relevant to say the the media i can't get over the media aspect i i just can't um i cannot get over it when i was producing the story i was like angry about it like it's like normally my news stories yeah i find them interesting but i'm not going to get angry but i was just so frustrated i'm like how can this be this is not news reporting you know um And that, that sort of reporting, and the other thing that I was hoping to do was to kind of be the person that says, hey, the emperor wears no clothes. Like, hey, you guys need to report the news on this story. Um, and that, so that in the future, that I would basically kind of, to a certain extent, shame the local media into changing how they report this ongoing story, because now they see that they, there's a watchdog. And when Lost Coast Populist is the watchdog, you can demonize Lost Coast Populist very easily, much more easily than you can demonize me because I don't have that branding attached to me that Lost Coast Populist does. So I thought I was going to be able to shame them into, you know, just really just report the news, honestly. Uh, the early returns are that that has not occurred. Uh, the, the North Coast Journal's article, which you probably read, they had a big front page article about the local drag scene. Um, and, you know, it was an interesting article. But the only specific reference to uh, Jefferson was to refer to it as a family-friendly show in the fall. Now, if you don't know any better, when you think family-friendly, does what happened at Jefferson fit into what you would envision when, when a flyer says family-friendly? Dude, what? Family-friendly is like, I don't know, like kids trying to dunk someone by throwing a ball at something or I, I don't know anything but it's a pretty new 
at least I think it's new, new interpretation of what it means to be family friendly. You're giving people no information about what the controversy is about. No information. I mean, as a news reporter, I, I just don't get how people can publish these articles. It's like, what are you doing? And so that was the big message that you wanted to come across in your video is, hey, the media is not accurately covering these stories. They need to stay away from the culture war aspect of it and just report on the facts of what happened. Well, the culture war aspect, you can do what you do on any news story. You can quote different people who have different perspectives. You can add your own perspective. I'm fine with reporters giving their own opinions. I'm not from this super old school of oh, just the facts. No, you can add your own analysis. But you first have to present the core factual information before you bring in all the quotes from various people and before you give your own analysis. The news media refused to show Lost Coast Populist video, I imagine, because Lost Coast Populist is almost, we can't show their video, like they're the bad guys. It, whereas my attitude is, there are no good guys and bad guys. There are just guys. I know this is basically your approach to life as well, or at least it's how I interpret you because the way you run your show, there's no good guys and bad guys. There's just guys who are all different from each other, who whatever, where we can kind of all interact. It's in some way. Um, but I think, I think, or maybe the idea was, again, you get into these buzzwords. Um, if you show the video... You're endangering marginalized people. Um, to which my response is, news reporting constantly has ramifications beyond the story that you're reporting. The best example that I always give is when ISIS was cutting people's heads off in the Middle East. You remember they were taking American hostages and beheading them. When the news media reported on that, did that increase resentment against American Muslims who had nothing to do with ISIS? Probably. It, it probably, there are some people who are just not very sophisticated and not very smart, and they will have resentment against Muslims who have nothing to do with this, who are just walking down the street in Eureka, San Francisco, whatever, and they will hate those Muslims because some crazy people in Iraq are cutting off the heads of Americans. But is that a reason for the news media not to report on the fact that they're doing that? Of course not. The news media has to report on this. And the ramifications of what, of what that kind of entails, I don't know what to do with that. But, but to say you're not going to report it is, to me, crazy. And so to me, no, obviously, cutting off people's heads and performing dances in front of children, they're not the same thing. But the principle of, do we have to be puppeteers behind the scene, Figuring out what people are going to know, this is the same thing with Fauci and masks, right? Because this is what it sounds like. But to me, it's, it's the same principle. Are we puppeteers controlling what people know for their own benefit in order to make a good society that's peaceful and tranquil and to increase good relations between different demographics? Or are we just saying what's happening? And I think we're just saying what's happening. That's what we should be doing. And the news media didn't do that. No, people are not familiar with what is occurring. And I, I imagine that without knowing the specifics, if, if you make it a referendum on a homosexuality, homosexuality, thankfully, is widely accepted in Humboldt County and in the United States in general. It, you know, a protest about homosexuality, that's not something I'm going to report on because I don't find it interesting. 
you know, I would not spend so much time making a video about someone protesting homosexuality. It's just not interesting to me. You, you got nothing. This is much more interesting. But but there was just, and if you, if the media didn't want to embed the video, how about describe it in words? Nope, nobody wanted to describe in words what was occurring. And that is just shocking to me. The other thing is that beyond the fact that it's bad news reporting, it's also, I think on a personal level, unethical to people say what their views are and you decide, no, that's not their view. I, I know what they're really saying. People say they're against the, what's happening because it's the people are performing sexualized dances in front of children. And you come along and you say, no, they're actually anti-gay. People aren't allowed to speak for themselves. We never do this with any other news story. We, we constantly put forward people's best arguments of what they're saying. Like, I don't, how can you just change what someone said? The protesters came to the city council and one after the other, they all said, hey, we weren't there to protest gay people. We were there to protest the fact that people are performing sexualized dances in front of children. Those are two different things. Right? It's a fascinating time when it comes to just the ability for a group to be branded, even if it's counter to information that's out there about them. Once that branding kicks in, it's there. If you oppose trans or drag shows for kids, you are anti this group of marginalized people. Just it's that black and white. That's what it is. You're hateful. Yeah, and 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 there's But isn't that crazy? It, Just it, no context on who you are as a person or what what you might be actually fighting for behind that. Just if you do X, you are now Y. Yes. And and the the anti-gay label. Um I and I thought Amy Gustin, who is this KMUD listener who I included my video. Basically, she listened to KMUD's news reporting on this topic, which KMUD, I, I would say, take it, took it to the next level as far as just demonizing, just going straight out and demonizing all the protesters and not explaining why the protesters were mad. And she, because KMUD has this space on their station for community comments where listeners can comment on stuff, she went on their radio and said, hey, KMUD, I listened to your story about these protests, and you told me that it was all about being anti-gay. And then I watched the video of the event that the protesters were angry at, and the protesters have a good point. Why didn't you tell me that in your news story? Why didn't you tell me that actually, yeah, people are performing these sexualized dances in front of children, and that I find that weird. You know, this is her talking. And you told me it was all about being anti-gay, right? She had like such a straightforward commentary. It was very good. Like, props to her. Um, and yeah, she summed it up. And so my question is, how many other people are there in Humboldt County where if they see the video, they're going to be like, well, wait a second. The hateful anti-gay people have a good point. But the news media never empowered people to get to that point because they wouldn't show them the video. It, it's just so crazy. I don't know. I'm ranting. Well, I think that's why people are so uncomfortable with aspects of the news nowadays is because they are not just these people who are taking facts and maybe flavoring it with a little bit of personal interpretation and giving it to the public. They're now the decision makers of what is and what is not news and what is and what is not the truth. And they have that power. And so if you're just watching CNN or Fox News and they don't counter with the other side's story, you just get funneled into this one way of believing 
and just this one way of thinking and that everything that now comes down through this funnel is true. And anything counter to that must be fake news because otherwise X News Network would have covered it. It would have told me about it, but they didn't. So are, are, is CNN and Fox News your main... I mean, Those are just my two, my go-to because you could watch CNN and then watch Fox News and it's going to be completely different. You're going to have a completely different perspective of what went down for whatever topic. Those are just the two easiest ones to pick on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, th there is a lot of that. Um, I mean, I, I think we talked about this last time. In general, I'm much more a fan of the mainstream center-left media than you are. But I think that, uh, and one of my favorite commentators, after our previous episode, he put out a, a substack on this, a post, uh, and he, he basically, he crystallized what I think. And basically what he said is, all right, yes, ignore the mainstream media when it comes to the culture war, when it comes to race, transgenderism, drag, immigration. Yeah. On all of that, ignore the mainstream center-left media. You cannot trust them at all. Um, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, none of that. Just don't consume them. You'll be dumber for consuming them. Get your news from alternative sources. But for everything else, they're really good. So if you're trying to figure out why there's a toilet paper shortage during COVID, that's not part of the culture war, you can read the New York Times. The New York Times will investigate that and will explain to you the background of the supply chain of toilet paper and will give you a very good explanation. Um, if there's some disaster, if there's a hurricane and a bunch of people, if there's a tsunami in Asia, right? And you want to basically understand what's going on, what's going on with the relief, read the Washington Post. They'll be great, right? Just ignore them on the culture war. That's basically his message. But the problem is that's all they're pushing right now is culture war stuff. That's all we're getting. And I mean, if you want to extrapolate that and talk about what's going on with Ukraine, how much of that is BS that's being funneled to each party that they're just trying to put their own little flair on it? Well, the, the culture war is where the energy is and where people get most agitated. But I mean, come on, the, the mainstream media, the, the big newspapers, the legacy media, the LA Times, the Washington Post, the New York Times, they're still publishing a lot of stories that have nothing to do with the culture war. If you look at their front page, it's not all culture war all the time. It's a lot of what I'm talking about, just news reporting. That's not going to have such a blatant progressive conservative breakdown. It. Yeah. Um, so I do want to say that because I, I, I am not, as I told you before, I, there isn't like an alternative to the mainstream media to get your core information about the world. They have the most resources to give you the main information. I still believe that. Um, but I know that y you, on, on the culture war stuff, it's getting out of control. It's really bad. So you, you have to find people that you trust who are, and I have tons of these people in the Substack. I'm, I'm huge. Yeah. I'm, I'm just following new, new people all the time. Um, well, and you have a little more balanced perspective. And I would assume that some of that comes from you were around a little bit before it just devolved into that chaos of culture war fighting. That's pretty much what I've grown up in is saying that. So I think I'm a little more jaded because I never got what the news was, you know, tuning in at 6 p.m. and you're going to watch Walter Cronkite or you're going to watch so-and-so deliver the news to you and you're going to figure out what's going on in the country. From the time that pretty much I was really paying attention, it's just been this, just this food fight in the cafeteria of both sides going at each other and to what end when did you start following the news i i started diving into it 
probably around the 2016 election. That's when stuff started to become apparent to me that, <laughs> oh, maybe I should be paying attention, which is around the time I graduated. So pretty much after high school, when you're kind of thrust into the world and you almost have to pay attention. And then even more so during COVID, because I started seeing things and I was like, this doesn't, what is happening right now? Nobody's steering the ship. And if I can recognize that, we have a problem because I should not be paying attention enough to know, hey, we need something else because this isn't working. So pretty much the past, you know, eight, nine years or whatever. But really more so COVID, I think, was what really got me invested in politics and watching the news and trying to figure out, okay, what is happening? What's going on right now? Why do you think that um, the media has taken this downturn from the days of Walter Cronkite to right now with the problems that you're talking about? Why is this happening? I don't know. I think social media is an easy is an easy target to hit because it almost social media almost fuels that because you can get the clicks, you can get if it's polarizing, it'll sell. And so I think some of that is there. But I don't know. I mean, is it just that we have devolved this way as a society that part of me wants to believe that things have gotten to a point where it's relatively good or okay for most people. We live in a country that comparatively has a lot more comfort than other countries. And so I think that with that comes this natural instinct to start focusing on whatever is wrong, no matter how small it might be or how prevalent it might be only in certain areas or certain times and we blow that up and we make that our biggest issue because we want to fight for something everybody wants to have a cause everybody wants to be working towards some goal and the culture war aspect kind of feeds into that because if you hear people are anti-gay and trying to take transgender rights and trying to do this stuff it it motivates you if you're like oh if you're a caring person or you get branded that way you want to fight against that you don't want people taking over and eliminating rights for a whole group of people you don't want the fascists rising in power which that word gets thrown around so much today and you hear that and you think well i need to do my part i need to do something and so part of it is culture part of it is social media i think part of it is just shitty reporting maybe or shitty leadership in networks that let it get to this point i don't know i i'm too young to say for sure but i think it's i don't know if it's just as simple as this one thing and there's one solution. I think we're we're getting bombarded from all angles, and it's just we're seeing it fully realized now. I think in addition to that, there's probably an aspect to, you know, I talked before about criticizing your own tribe. It's a scary thing to do. And I think criticizing your own tribe is more difficult, but even this, the the less difficult thing of Offering a perspective that is kind of outside what the other people in your tribe are doing without actually criticizing them, just giving your own opinion and, and having it be different. Um, and I think people take, the media takes cues from other people in the media. And so since one person, you know, a few influential outlets start reporting on all ages drag in a specific way, well, that's the way respectable, educated journalists report on this topic. Um, and part of my video was to say, no, that is not the way respectable journalists report on this topic. That's, that's a disaster and we need to do it a different way. Now people can justifiably respond to me and say, well, who are you 
I mean, you, you've got barely, you've got barely no audience and that's true, but that's why I included that thing about the New York times in my videos So to give people the background, the New York times. See, this is the thing about the, about the culture war. We say how awful the, the mainstream media is and, and, and frequently they are, but they also do good work while they're doing bad work, right? The New York times put out a series of articles about the controversy over transitioning children to the opposite gender. It was, a, it was stellar reporting. It was, it was detailed. It brought in all these perspective, all this analysis, all this information. Um, the progressive activists predictably slung all the slurs at the New York Times, transphobic, hateful, bigoted, endangering people, all the standard stuff. The New York Times responded with a quote, which I document in my video because I, I, I just want other news reporters to hear this. And the New York Times said, their quote was, we recognize that the activist advocacy mission and the Times journalistic mission are different. Our journalism strives to explore debates in society to help our readers understand them. End quote. That is so awesome that they articulated that ethos in response to progressive activists getting mad at them. They had done nothing wrong. Not only had they not done nothing wrong, they had done an amazing job that really only the New York Times can do because they have the resources and they have people who are very smart, even if they're ideological, they're very talented news reporters, and they can put out this incredible reporting, and they had, and they stood behind it. And when they put out that quote, for a lot of people like me, the people I follow on Twitter, where we're kind of like annoyed with the media, like that was the day where we were like, holy shit, New York Times, yes, go New York Times, you're killing it. Yes, live by that ethos. Don't back down. This is great. Um, so yeah, if, 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 if Humboldt County Media is not going to listen to me, okay, I understand that. But please listen to the New York Times. You probably, you know, respect the New York Times if you're reporting in this way and you're a decent reporter. So um, do you think they want to do that, though? Do you think that local news organizations want to invest the resources and the time to try to build what something like the New York Times has? Or do you think they're just in it to try to get the clicks to meet the bottom line, to get the advertising, to not piss too many people off so that people keep reading. Well, I mean, they're, most of them are trying to make a profit, but I mean, the Lost Coast Outpost does incredible reporting all the time. I mean, again, this is where I depart from Donnie. Donnie is going to tell you the logo sucks. I'm never going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you on this one story, they got lost. But in general, no, I think they're great. The best, if you want to know what's happening in Humboldt County, and all you do is read the Lost Coast Outpost, you're going to be pretty well informed about what's going on in Humboldt County. It is an awesome news site. They publish super detailed reporting all the time that slays. Um, they, they go into, they, they just do so many different things that are really good and it's, and it's so thorough. So yes, I do think that they wanna help people understand what is going on around them. Um, so what is it about this one issue? Is it just that, as a society, we have become so invested in one way of thinking that we can't kind of correct or that nobody wants to push back against the norm right now or what, what's going on there? I think it is, um, first of all, reporters are like everybody else. We don't want people to say that we're bad people. We want people to say that we're nice people. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants that. That's just normal human emotion. So if you, if you, um, say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe what's going on here in the drag scene is not cool. That is going to get, there is a lot of organized people who are going to say you're mean or you're hateful, bigoted, transphobic, all the slurs, right? The standard stuff. So that's one thing. And, and reporters don't want to be called that. 
and nobody wants to be called that. It's, those are bad things to be. Nobody wants to be a hateful bigot. I mean, who wants to be a hateful bigot? Not that many people. So that's one thing. The second thing is that, um, and this is like a, a very subtle thing about um, how people perceive the world. I think you and I are both what I call cognitive decouplers. Um, there's not, someone else just used the word for it. Um, they were describing it and I, it was much better than that. But basically what that means is you and I, okay, we're, we're talking about one topic. Okay. We're talking about that topic. Now we're done with that. And now we're on to the next topic. And then we're on to the next topic. And we can say, all right, I disagree with this dude over here, but I agree with him on points two and three. We're just opposed to each other on one. And, you know, and our our general reaction to that is, yeah, such is life. You know, people disagree, whatever, move on. But what we don't do is what I said before. We, You and I, and I'm, I'm speaking for you. You should speak for yourself, but I see this. It's one of the reasons I gravitate towards your show. And it's one of the reasons a lot of people gravitate towards Rogan. It's the same thing. It's like, there are not good guys and bad guys. There are just people. Uh, some people I agree with more frequently than other people. But I don't want to say that people are bad guys people. That's just way too broad for me to say about people who are, you know, the drag performers who were at that show at Jefferson who performed, I don't want to go so far as to say they're bad people. That's just too much for me. Um, and so th the way it relates to this conversation is that if you don't see things that way, if you do think that there, you have to decide which team are you on, there's good people and bad people. Well, if you've decided that people who are gay or transgender or perform drag are good people. You have to promote them at every turn and any chink in the armor must be concealed or pretend like it doesn't exist. And I don't see things that way. I don't, there's no reason to be like that. I can be nuanced about it. I don't have a problem with homosexuality. It's just not, it's just not interesting. And we should talk about your Bramwell conversation because it was amazing. Um, and I just finished watching it in preparation for coming in here. It was really good. Um, because he's, he's also a key player in this. Um, but so I think that they're caught up in that bad guy versus good guy. And you and I are not. How do you get to that spot though? That's the fascinating part because I wasn't always that type of person. I mean, I used to, you could say ideolo ideologically align with my side, whatever that was, or not question as much as I should have. I can remember I was in high school and it was the 2016 election. We were going into it and we were talking about who do we think is going to win. And I, there was this girl in the class and I was friends with her at the time. And she was talking about how she wanted to vote for Trump because she aligned with some of his policies. She didn't really agree with him on a personal level. She thought he was, you know, not the best character, but she aligned with the direction that he kind of wanted to go with the country. And I just remember thinking, oh, she's a piece of shit. Like, you're going to vote for Trump? You piece of, like, what? I didn't. It didn't change how I interacted with her. I wasn't rude or anything, but it caused me to think about her in a slightly different way. And thinking back to that, I'm obviously a little disappointed in myself that that one thing could cause me to kind of write this person off in that way. And now I don't, I definitely still struggle with it, but I work through that most of the time, you know, and I can be countered with ideas and say, oh yeah, maybe I am wrong on this or, oh yeah, that does change my thinking. Or like you said, you're not a terrible person for being aligned in this one way. But how do you, how do you get to that point? Because I think a lot of people are still at the start of, no, I'm aligned, full sail blue, full sail red, full sail whatever, whatever I align with. 
and I can't see the reason in the other side. And so it's easier to just write everyone off that disagrees with me. I don't know how someone evolves to that point. For me, I think it's it's a basic part of who I am. It's from the beginning, you were that way. I've kind of always been this way. Um, in general, if in general, when I listen to people talk about what they think, my reaction is frequently, yeah, I don't see it that way. But he makes some good points, right? It, I, I'm just. And if there's someone who's very unpopular, who everybody's saying is awful, my instinct, even if I'm never going to meet this person, it's just in the news media, right? If someone's like the, the bad character of the day in the media, I'll be like, yeah, but he, I mean, there's a certain element of truth in what he's saying. It's not that horrible, right? Um, I don't know. I, I'm just like that. It's one of the things that makes me a natural reporter because when people are, are expressing their views, um, I think, oh, that guy, there's value in what that guy said, and there's value in what that guy, and what she said, yep, that there's something there. She's got a point. Even when they're saying they're fighting amongst themselves in the controversy, I'm always like, everybody's making some legitimate points. There's, you know, um, so I don't know how people can become like that. I mean, I part of it is, um, you know, if you approach your views with a little bit of humility and say, all right, you know, I don't really know that much. I don't know everything there is to know about this. So there's there's a space for me to like grow and change my mind and I might ultimately end up where that dude is even though now I think he's terrible. Um that can kind of give you the 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 space to kind of say, "All right, I I'm not so like locked into my rigid uh, you know, the walls that that confine me right now." But for me, I I do think that's an important skill for a news reporter and it's it's one of the th it's one of the natural things that I have. Important for everybody. Just to get yeah. through life. Yeah. See, I was, the, I was completely the opposite. When I was a kid, I thought if you smoked weed, you were just dog shit. That you were just a terrible human being. If you did drugs, if you, you know, if these things that now seem so ridiculous. It's just these defining characteristics, which they weren't. But if you engaged in these things, you were just a terrible person. I had this very black and white view of the world and of people and of activities that people would engage in and ways of thinking. And if you didn't fall into this one category, you were just not a good person. And I could just write you off just like that. And did that, was that a product of your upbringing? I'm probably too close to it to say, I don't know. I, it's something I'd have to think about. But as a child, I had a very rigid self-imposed structure and outlook on the world and just how I saw things. I don't really know how I got that because my parents aren't necessarily that way. They're more open than at least I was as a child. And I just, I don't know. I just came out black and white. It was this or it was that. There was no in between. There was no middle ground. Republicans were shitty people. Like a, a wild stance from where I am now at least. Yeah, that's crazy, dude, because you don't, you don't project any of that energy. That's like, that is very surprising. So when you say when you were a kid, I mean, when you were like 16 or when you were like nine? No, when I was, a, yeah, probably up, up through middle school, very black and white, which is a young age for someone to have yeah, I'm like, these dude. stances <laughs> and these beliefs as a kid who knew nothing, who knew nothing but had a stance on everything. That's the kind of kid I was. And then middle school... I think I started pulling on threads and realizing the world was not that black and white. And then 
probably through college that got better. But it was a journey for me. I was definitely not the type of person that you were and that you carry on to be. I had to kind of carve that out for myself. All right. Well, you're asking me, how does one get there? I, I, but I don't know. That's the thing. Well, but, but what was your story? You say you changed. What, what was the process like? What, what happened that made you so more open-minded? I think I just slowly started to realize that a lot of it was bullshit. I think that when you hold these beliefs so tightly, it's easy to kind of write off anything that might undermine them. And once you get a chink in an idea and you can recognize that and you start pulling on that thread and it unravels, I think it causes you to start questioning everything else. And I think that's kind of what happened with me. And I think it was healthy in that way that now I'm not that way at all. I'm like 100% opposite from where I was as a kid. But I think that can be dangerous too because I think people start unraveling and then they go a little too far. And then everything is a conspiracy. There's 5G radiation that is giving people covid and it, it, you can get a little sideways that's why i'm curious how do you start from where i was and get to a place where we are now without going too far Ah, uh, yeah i mean i don't know i don't think i could replicate it now if i was put back in that spot i don't think there's a, a path that you could follow to break through that that's why i'm fascinated with it and hearing that you were born that way is interesting because I feel like I had to fight to get there, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've, I've heard someone talk about their evolution. Although oh, people, you know, uh, what is it that uh, people talk about being red-pilled, you know? So that, that is something that people talk about on Twitter. But, but you're talking about it on a much more metaphysical level. You're saying, you know, you're talking about it as far as just being open-minded rather than just realizing that the right has the truth you know realizing that you know yeah that, the red pill stuff is almost you're just trading black and white so white is now black and <laughs> right. black is now white right it's still you're not necessarily getting to the middle ground and all that yeah um yeah yeah i don't know how it happened i'm glad it did i don't think i i wouldn't have wanted to be around me back then i think i'm finally getting to the place where i'm becoming a more well-rounded individual whatever that means well dude i mean okay you brought on i mean like i mean how the hell did you do this you brought on kaylin rivera bramwell and donnie and from what i saw all of them left here thinking that you, you guys are buds like you 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 have a healthy positive relationship no i don't know what they went home and you know maybe they think oh the nick guy's an asshole but at least from what it Turned, showed up on video, you kept it. It was great, and th I mean that is that's awesome. I mean, dude, I you were, the the value that you brought in in this in having these long form conversations with those people was incredible. I was thinking after I during the course of before I didn't know you were going to bring on Kalen Rivera, right? You, the video shows up on my homepage, and I see who you're talking to next, right? And then, you know, so I, I had been thinking, you know, he should talk to an all-ages drag person. He's talked to Donnie and like that, that's Nick's style. He's going to want to talk to everybody. Well, sure enough, here comes Kaylin Rivera on my, I'm like, oh, Kaylin Rivera's on. Okay, let's, let's see how this goes. Um, and, and in both the Kaylin Rivera and the Bramwell conversations, you, this is not you being a yes man. You are, you are pushing back like a mother on both of them constantly, relentlessly in a way that, 
you really don't do with other people just because other people aren't as ideological, right? Bramwell and Rivera, they've got hot takes for days, right? So, so there's a lot to push back on. Whereas we're just shooting the shit. It's a little bit different. Like there's not that much to push back on me. Uh, maybe there is, but, um, and you did that all. See, that's the thing is like you demonstrated that, no, you can be a real reporter. You can ask the questions that need to be asked. And Bramwell and Rivera are adults. They, they didn't get mad at you for asking them real questions. They just tried to answer your questions, right? There's not like, you maybe you did a better job of showing the local media how to do it than I did, perhaps, because you showed that if you ask real questions, nothing's going to happen to you. No one's going to say that you're hateful and bigoted. Actually, the people who are at the center of it are going to say, like, oh, this is fine. We're having a conversation. It, it was amazing. I mean, it, it was incredible, dude. I, I could not believe that. I mean, you were and you were. Kalen Rivera was saying to you, um, oh, you know. People are exaggerating. Uh, when it when kids transition, they go through years of therapy. You're like, no, that's not true. I mean, I remember you saying, no, that's not true, and it isn't true. You're right, it's not true. That this is why it's so controversial. Kids are showing up at 14 years old, having one session with a therapist, and being given puberty blockers. Maybe they're younger than they got to be. Let's say 12 or something. This has been well documented. There are tons of whistleblowers who are the doctors and therapists. You're reading them, obviously. So am I. The therapists are are coming forward and saying, at my job, we're, we're giving kids puberty blockers after one therapy session. What is going on? Right? So when he said, oh, it's a long process, you're like, no, it's not true. And then he said, well, it's not, you're right, it's not true. Right? He kind of conceded it immediately because it isn't true. It was amazing. And you brought so much value. And then with Bramwell, it was the same thing. First of all, the fact that you were hitting on this uh, mixed cloth shirt thing, <laughs> I also have a background in... Uh, so I grew up in a traditional Jewish family, so I know a lot about the Old Testament. Um, it's not really relevant to my life anymore. I'm an atheist, but I have a deep background in it. So you busting that of all things out, I could not believe. I didn't know that you knew, like, you never talk about religion on the show that I've heard. And you bust out the mixed cloth, which is the biggest piece of, like, Old Testament esoterica. I was just like, holy shit, this is crazy. But it was, it was a good question. I mean, it's like, hey, how come we can uh, forget, how can we say about that rule that, hey, the, you know, uh, the mixed cloth, we don't have to follow that anymore, but homosexuality is so important, we, we have to stay, no no gay people, you know, or, or no homosexuality, not no gay people. Um, that's a good question. And he never really answered it to my satisfaction. But, you know, I'm not a believer. He, I mean, like I had the experience with him that I, that I have like just with listening to the rabbis that I grew up around where it's just like your answer to things is that this is what it says in scripture, but who cares what it says in scripture? I don't give a shit about that. I, I'm living in 2023. I don't care what some dude wrote in a, in a book 2000 years ago. Like show me something that's relevant to me. Like right now, that's talking about my life right now. Like how to blow up on YouTube. Not what, what's yeah, happening? give me some of the tangible I can use. Yeah, like you're not helping me at all. So then you would ask him, hey, basically what I just said, how come the prohibition against homosexuality is still relevant, but, uh, you know, the prohibition against mixed cloth clothes isn't, isn't relevant? And he'd say, well, you know, Peter. And it's like, I don't care what fucking Peter said 2,000 years ago. <laughs> but then you were saying that you go to a church. So I, I didn't realize that you were a Christian and that you go to a church. That, that was actually revealed during that interview, which I, which I found interesting. Um, 
So what? So what's what's that about? So you have like a background in the New Testament, yeah, and the I Old was, Testament. I was brought up Catholic. Went to went to church every Sunday. Went to Sunday school, confirmation, first communion. I did the whole gambit growing up. At uh, which church around here? Sacred Heart. Oh, that's Sacred right down the street. Yeah. Oh wow. Went there for a long time, for a long time, and then. I think it was around middle school too. I, when I started pulling on those threads, a lot of things unraveled and I just needed some time to step away from that. And so fought with my parents a little bit to try to get out from, especially the Sunday school aspect. I was ready to be ready to be done with that. So I kind of took a step back, went to church a couple of times while I was in college with my sister staying with her. We went down in sack, but I'm not, I mean, I'm definitely not a practicing Catholic. I just have that upbringing. And I, I've talked to a couple different pastors that have come on about it. One of the things that I struggle with with religion is trying to separate how I feel about it versus what was ingrained in me as a child. I feel like that's a big point of contention for me because I don't know what I genuinely feel and what I genuinely believe in my stance on God and on religion as a whole. Versus these things that people told me when I was a kid and was susceptible to these other ideas and just accepted things without question. Is Bramwell's stance on homosexuality the same as the stance of the church that you grew up in? Oh, yeah. Church when I was a kid was, yeah, you, homosexuality wasn't allowed. It was very based in, in what the scripture said. I mean, I'm sure that's the same for you, right? When you were growing up and you were religious, was homosexuality allowed? No. So yeah. it, it, it's it's interesting because I kind of realized this while researching this whole story and while watching Bramwell talk to you is that Orthodox Jews, which is more or less what I grew up around, uh, pretty much have the same stance on homosexuality that Bramwell does. But for whatever reason, they don't broadcast it or talk about it as much whereas like there's this whole thing people know about like oh the church is very anti-gay you know whereas people don't talk about jews being anti-gay but even though you know a lot of the jews that i grew up around they, they you know there's there, there's no openly gay people it's it's not a thing like you would and, and if you were gay you would have to find like another community you, you'd have to leave the tribe because it's just not gonna happen like it's just not gonna be tolerated you know, you living with your boyfriend, it's just not going to be a thing, right? Um, but for whatever reason, Jews don't catch flack in the in the public the way Christians do. I'm not sure. Maybe Christians it's just are the big one. There, maybe it's just because there's so many more Christians than there are Jews in the United States. Like, who cares what, like, you know, 500,000 Jews think? Like, no one cares in a country of 330 million people. But it's just interesting to me. But yeah, I mean, that that it's more or less the same thing. Um, when I was a kid, it wasn't even something that was openly known that, oh, the religion, it, it's not okay. It's something that you didn't even talk about. Somebody's gay, you don't talk about it. You just, it's swept under the rug. It's not, a, it's not real. It's not tangible. That was kind of the stance of the church when I was growing up. Was it just hush hush under the rug? We don't talk about it. It's not a thing. Right. And we just go on about our day. I thought it was interesting that, you know, Bramwell's framing, you know, that he, he had a couple of main talking points. First of all, he said it's not about homosexuality. It's about all kinds of sex outside of marriage. Fair. You know, okay. That does make him seem less anti-gay than you would frame him otherwise because 
you know, that that is a point he's making. He said, if you're living with your girlfriend, no, you cannot come in. What is, I don't understand exactly what communion is because this is all, I'm not familiar with it. But he said, no, you're not going to do communion if, unless I guess you have to repent first before you do communion. Communion is you receive the, the bread and wine, which is the body and blood of Christ. Right. And so he said, and then, and then you were saying, but what if you know that someone's a gossiper? Do you, do they also not get communion? You're like, are we going down every single person's behavior? Um, and I'm still not clear what his answer to that is. Are you clear what his answer to that is? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, with him it, and not to put words in his mouth, but it seems like the big thing is repentance, but that is such a fuzzy line because if I kill somebody and then I repent, I can you know, accept communion and I can be a part of the church and do all these things. And this is a drastic example, but you were essentially absolved of your sins because you repented. And then what if you do it again two weeks later? So it's like you were cleansed. And that's a bad example because it's killing somebody. But if you, you know, had sex out of wetlock and then you repented, you were brought back in, everything's okay. And then you break it and you do it again. It's, that's what I struggle with is it seems like it's this very not woo-woo, but this open-ended thing of, well, as long as you feel bad about it and you repent and you don't do it again, but that only works until you do it again. And then we're right back at square one. Right. I don't know if that answered your question. Uh, it's all within a context of, uh, it, it's all kind of a little confusing to me. Um, it's just a different way of understanding the world, but I'm I'm interested in it because because I'm not into the good guy, bad guy, so I want to take him seriously. And he's a person of some influence. I mean, he's got a congregation. And you're casually telling me now that this that the church you went to has basically the same views and probably tons of other churches in Humboldt County and churches around the United States. They're not all Unitarian Universalists where they're all down with pride, you know? I mean, they have their traditional views, you know? Um, so I'm trying to understand it and, and give it, you know, be respectful in some way and, and be open to it. I mean, he, he's talking about this Salt Lake City girl that he mentored, you know, who was gay. And he's telling you how, um, you know, he was asking her, telling her she has to repent before she can do communion. And like, I'm trying to figure out, like, all right, if she repents, what's the next step? What is she going to have to do? You want her to get into a straight relationship that is not meaningful for her and that is not fulfilling for her? And you just want her to live her life that way, or you just want her to stay celibate the rest of her life. That's your, that's really what you want her to do. Like, what are, what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> like, I, 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 but I guess his answer is yes, that's the, that's the righteous path. And you, you can live a meaningful life knowing that you're doing what God wants. I believe the stance and not to put, not to speak for Pastor Brownwell. I believe the stance, at least historically has been you are partaking in an act that is sinful. It's not necessarily that that is you. It's that you are being deceived. And so if you engage in the act, you're engaging in sin. So yes, they would have you not do that, not go down that road, maintain a straight relationship and just not give in to sin, I think would be the stance. Which seems pretty, pretty crazy, at least for me personally to think that. Yeah, I mean, and, and the dude that that girl is going to meet up with and match up with, he's going to be cool with knowing that his partner's actually gay, but is just doing this, just just hanging with him because this is what God wants. I mean, I'm, I'm not interested in dating girls that are like that, dude. Well, even just for the girl, I mean, if this is, if she's gay, which presumably she is because they went through that ordeal, 
like you said, it's not going to be a meaningful relationship. She's yeah. not going to be happy. And she's hiding this part of herself, which is not a good road to go down. Yeah, I, I, I it's it's hard for me to relate to. Um, it's just such a drastic stance to take. And you understand why they take the stance, because they believe that, that is, that's the word of God, is that you do not engage in this. But that just seems so crazy not to let people love who they want to love, you know? It yeah. just seems like such a drastic stance to take. Um, right around the time that he went on with you, um, coincidentally in my feed, um, Rogan had this conversation with uh, Matt Walsh. Um, you know who Matt Walsh is? I saw the episode. Okay. So you saw them talk about gay marriage. And you know what was funny when I watched that episode? I think that came out I believe a while before I did my episode, I remember actually thinking I was mad that they focused so much on gay marriage and stuff. Cause I felt like Matt Walsh, he had the trans documentary. Like he had this other thing that I was interested in hearing. And then they just took this right turn on gay marriage and the stance on that. And it just devolved. And so I was, the interesting thing is, is I was kind of mad that that conversation took that direction. Huh. Cause I felt like there was so much more value and you could just kind of write off his stance on gay marriage and all of that which is ironic because i essentially had a had a similar conversation go down a similar route with bramwell yeah so i you're agreeing that there, there's a connection between the two conversations yeah um it, it was also so the thing is is that both like i had never seen rogan kind of like press somebody like that and it's also i was seeing you press somebody also and you're normally not really that it's normally not as <laughs> hey, this doesn't make sense. What are you saying, right? And so it's, it's just weird because it showed up in my feed. Like, oh, it was almost, it might've even been the same day. It was like very close. It's like, oh, this is like a new thing that's coming into my space, you know, with people that I like to watch. Um, so that that conversation was interesting. I also really like that, you know, you, you have this thing where you do the just rolling open where you, whenever you hit live, that's, you're in the middle of a conversation. You, the viewer just has to pick up. You guys were talking about video production. Um, which I love because I'm tripping on this dude's YouTube videos. I'm like, what is this dude on? Like he, you tell me I have good production value. He is really getting into the stratosphere. He's a good video producer, really good. When I had first discovered his YouTube videos, which was right after Jefferson, when he became a lot in the news, um, I assumed, all right, this dude must have like someone in the church, like in the central church in like, you know, Arkansas, who's Cutting like all his stuff. doing like some after effects stuff for him and all that. And then it comes on and he's like, no, you know, I, I got into photography. And then when he was talking about the fact that he, he, he was chasing the dragon with the algorithm, I was like, oh, this is so relatable. This is why you have long form conversations, right? Because I can't demonize the guy. I can't say he's terrible when he's saying something that's like so relatable. It's like, oh, so you were chasing the dragon. Okay. Welcome We've to the club, there. bro. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so so his video production is incredible. Plus, he's awesome on camera, dude. He he is a super talented media person. I suck on camera on my on my journalism tutorial videos. I'm trying to figure out how to be better. I'm not relaxed, and he's super relaxed. It's super chill watching his videos. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, he's. I mean, that's what he does. Is he talks in front of people all day. You would hope that he would have this ability to kind of just be on. And he but, does. He carries it very well. But there's a difference between giving a speech to your congregation and being on camera. There's there is a subtle difference. Um, well, that's what makes him so unique. Is he he has that ability to be in front of people and be natural and make 
a connection with his audience. And he also has the tech background of I can create YouTube videos and put them out there and they don't look like dog shit. No, they look great. So I was happy that you guys, that, that was like the first thing gave me some information on him. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, yeah, all three of those people, Kalen, Donnie, Pastor Rumble, I mean, they're not bad people. They just come from different walks of life. They've experienced different things. They have opinions based on those experiences. They're nuanced people. It's not a black and white. This person's good. This person's bad. This person thinks X or Y. I mean, people are nuanced. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about a format where you get to talk to somebody for a few hours as you get to see that. How were you as far as going into those conversations? Were you, all right, I got to make sure this doesn't get out of control. I got to figure out what I'm doing. Were you more nervous? You asked me, was I nervous reporting on drag? How were you talking to Bramwell and Kaylin Rivera? I was good. I wasn't nervous. The funny thing is, hearing you talk about how I was pressing, the one thing I feel like I struggle with most in doing this is I don't feel like I press necessarily enough on some areas. And I was reading a book about like how to talk to people and how to interview people. And some a powerful lesson that I learned in that is you have to treat the interview like it's the first and last time you will ever get the guest. And you have to lay all the cards out on the table. And I feel like that's something I still really struggle with is because I do, I want us to have a good conversation. I want us to be cordial with each other, maybe like each other at the end of it. Definitely not hate each other. And sometimes you have to ask a question that you might risk offending the guest. And I feel like sometimes, at least in the past, I haven't always done that. But as far as the conversation with them went, there's no, I mean, I'm treating it the same as I would treat our conversation right now. There's no, that's, that's the interesting thing about Donnie and what I was trying to get with you with that question of were you nervous is Donnie has entered this sphere and has been branded, whether you believe or whether you agree with the branding or not, he's, he's got it. It's attached to him. Big for time. better or worse right now. And I was wondering if that was on your radar as if you were worried you were going to get branded. Because I don't feel like I'm branded, which kind of shocks me. I agree that you're not branded. Uh, I also think I'm not branded. Um, unfortunately, my video wasn't watched enough to create the Maybe branding. that's my problem is I just haven't been out there <laughs> enough to get the branding. I, I The fact that I got no haters uh, uh, from the video, and again, like I said, I see who's sharing it. And when, when someone shares, I go to their profile to see what their vibe is on their other posts. It was just a lot of people who already knew about the stuff I was talking about. They had already seen the footage. They had already been pissed about the how the media covered it. So I, I knew that there was some chance for me to get hate. But, you know, like I said, I bring on the hate. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to do a good job here. And I've got to be, I mean, part of making the video, the other, the other aspect of it for me was, I don't know if the right word is virtue signaling, but I was certainly signaling to my audience that, hey, when I cover a news story, I'm going to cover it fairly and thoroughly and accurately. And if all the other media goes and gets crazy, I'm not going to go and get crazy. I'm going to just do what I always do, which is give you a comprehensive look at an issue in a somewhat fair, and you can trust me. Because part of what happens when the media does what the local media did is it, the same, they are at risk of having happened to them the same thing that has happened to the national media, which is that people just lose trust in you. They're not going to, they're just going to write you off completely. They're just going to stop consuming you. That's what's happened on a national level. I don't want that to happen to me. So I was signaling to my audience, hey, you know, uh, 
you know, I'm going to be honest with you. And the other thing is when you behave the way that the other media behaved, sources aren't going to talk to you because they're going to not trust you to be fair to them. This happened to me when I was trying to gather the footage. I was having to talk to people who were on the right, who, who were against these drag shows. And when I contacted them, I had two experiences of people saying the first response they got from my initial email was, well, you're just going to demonize me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wait, what? You don't, you don't even know my work. Why are you saying I'm not going to demonize you? What are you talking about? Now, I didn't say, what are you talking about? I was very professional about it. You know, I say, this is my site. Please review my previous work. You know, I, I try to explain controversial subjects. You know, I, I, I don't get into an arguing with them about what I'm going to do. I just say, hey, I, I'd like you to review my work. Um, but it's, kind of, it's understandable that they're reacting that way. They, they don't know the difference between me and other news outlets. They never heard of me. And so this is really bad for me that, that other people are behaving that way because it's going to affect my ability to report news. So, yeah, so, so that signaling was an aspect of me producing my video. Now, the other aspect of it, and so I, I still haven't drawn a conclusion about what exactly I'm trying to figure out is what happened at Jefferson now part of the mainstream culture? This is the way I wrapped the video. Has it been accepted? We had five out of five Eureka City Council members at least tacitly endorse what happened. So that's five out of five, not one, right? Five out of five said this was cool. So does that mean that this is an accepted part of the culture? Or does it mean that because people don't understand what they're endorsing, it hasn't been accepted, but they've been deceived? I don't know the answer to that question, and I'm trying to figure it out because it seems odd to me. It's possible that those city council members do know what happened and, they're, and they think it's fine, in which case I have to accept the fact that, much to my surprise, I've become a social conservative in a sense. That's a very weird way for me to see myself, but I look at what happened and I say, no, that's not, that, this is not cool right? That this should not occur. But if everybody is saying it, it, it is cool, maybe I'm just getting older. This happens to people as they get older. The culture changes behind them and their views become out of date. Maybe my views are out of date and I have to get with the program. I'm just trying to really figure this out more, not as a reporter, but just as a person, what happened and, and how is this happening? And I have not really reached a conclusion about what occurred. I was hoping my video was going to stimulate this conversation about is this really acceptable now? Is this part of the mainstream? Um, now, the subsequent the show at CR, as Lady Liberty pointed out, didn't have any of this stuff from what the, the reports are in. I wasn't there, but you know, so it's possible that no, it's not really been accepted. Um, that Donnie's work kind of has influenced what the organizers are going to do in the future because he revealed it through him shooting video um, and that, you know, they're kind of, without ever admitting that something went wrong, they're just going to kind of subtly change it so that it doesn't happen again, so that there's no more firestorms. That's possible. On the other hand, maybe it is going to happen again because five out of five Eureka City Council members said it's cool. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I think, well, to credit Kalen, he was very forthcoming with, hey, this is the direction I want to take this. It's not going to be like Jefferson's. We're going to structure it this way. There's not going to be inappropriate music. There's not going to be tipping. I mean, he came at it with, no, we're going to, we're going to do this very by the book. We don't want people misinterpreting anything. 
this is this is how we're going to do this. And I think he even acknowledged that that one was a little, the tipping was problematic at Jefferson. But I don't, the question is, how much traction did Donnie's initial video get? Like you said, kind of like with your video. Is there a change or do people just not care enough to do anything about it? Because if all of these people on the council are supporting this, and there seems to be a lot of support for all-age drag shows. Is that just going to become the norm? I don't understand the all-age aspect. Because to me, if I was in that position and people had a problem with the all-age thing, I would say, okay, let's just not do all-age. We'll just do 18 and up drag shows. Adults only. Come and do whatever you want. Like, why not just eliminate that point of contention? That's what I don't really understand. Well, if I can try to answer that, I've watched Kaylin Rivera talk a bunch of times, and I can try to explain what I understand him to be saying in good faith. Um, and obviously, I can be mischaracterizing him, and he can jump into the comments if he's watching. His argument, I believe, is that people are not struggling with issues of sexual orientation and gender identity suddenly, magically, when they turn 18. They are struggling with that as young kids. And so they need people who are showing them and modeling them even when they're 12 years old and are showing them and empowering them to love themselves and to accept themselves in the ways that they don't conform to gender expectations and they don't conform to what kind of the mainstream culture is telling them that they have to behave, how they should behave, how they should dress, how they should express themselves in general. And we need to make sure because the damage can be done by the time they're 18. 18 is too late. So we need to get in earlier to inspire these kids and let them know it's okay. I, that's what I understand him to be saying. And it's a powerful argument. Um, that's why he wants to have all ages drag shows. Do you buy into that argument? Um, I'm still deciding. That's where it gets a little dicey, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's part of a broader question um, of, you know, right? we have exploding on the internet all these teachers now that are talking about gender ideology and sexual orientation with young kids. And I guess the, the big question is, are, are those issues, should they be the sole domain of parents and, let's say, therapists who can talk about it, it's fine if a therapist talks about that with a child, or is it okay for other strange adults to start burrowing into that space with children that they barely know? Um, it's a big question. I tend to be more on the side of being on the right on, and conservative. Like, no, that should be the sole domain of parents and, and counselors. We can't have, you know, strange men talking to 13-year-olds about how they feel about their body. No, that, that's not a thing. But, but, but I, I don't think, I don't just dismiss Kalen as some dumb person. And, you know, I listen to him. He, he's, he's a real person. He's, he's got life experience. He's telling us what he experienced personally. And he's got some insight. And so I, I have to take seriously what he's saying. Um, but I think that is the crux of the issue. Do, do we need to... He's correct that kids are experiencing stuff before 18, obviously. I mean... Well, he was one of them. He's one of them. You know, 
it's just the question is, do we want strangers helping kids out with this? That's where it becomes problematic. Yes. And so he thinks he's doing good work by, by showing kids that anything's possible. You don't have to conform to the expectations um, that are set out for you, and you can just be yourself. And so he thinks this is very positive. So no, he's not going to just drop all ages drag. This is important work. This is who he is. This is what he's doing. I mean, he thinks he probably thinks the all ages work is more important than the adult work. The adults can do whatever they want, but we need to inspire kids and show them that it's okay. The 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 other aspect of it is that like being transgender is a very rare thing. Like I understand that for him, it has been very positive and healthy for him, but I do think that progressives are trying to make it out like being transgender is just another lifestyle and that that's an option open to you and let's talk to you about it because hey we want you to know about it because that might be your path and it's just a it, there's very few people that are going to be helped out by becoming transgender there are some people but the left is making it out like it's enormous numbers of people that we need to it is not it is not a common track that is going to bring happiness. There's rare people that have this issue, but it's, I do think this phenomenon of tons of girls suddenly declaring that they're transgender and having this rapid onset gender dysphoria thing, I do think it is a social contagion and it's, from everything I read about it, it's just crazy. I mean, the, these whistleblowers, as I was bringing up before, these whistleblower therapists who are working in these hospitals are saying, I, we are being told by our supervisors that when a girl comes in after one session and says she's having issues with her body, we should say, well, have you thought about uh, that maybe you're transgender? Here's some puberty blockers. And these whistleblowers are saying, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. So it's a problem. And, and, then, and I, I don't like when people call it a right-wing panic. It, it seems like it's a real thing to be concerned about. I mean, there, there are all these detransitioners that are now telling their stories and saying, doctor told me I was transgender because I had some body issues. Then I found out all girls have body issues. You know, I mean, it's like, what's going on? What do you think? I'm just alarmed that we're doing this to children. I think you're 18 or you're whatever age society deems you to be an adult. You get to make whatever decisions you want. And you will also live with the consequences of those decisions. Hopefully, if you transition, it is beneficial for you and you live a happy and productive life and you're like Kaylin and it's something that you needed and you got it and it's good. But there are people that detransition and there are people that go through with mastectomies or hysterectomies or hormones and then a couple years later do regret it. Like that happens. To ignore that is just insane because it does happen. Is it everybody? No. Is everybody happy when they transition? No. I mean, it's a nuanced problem. And the idea that young kids should be able to make this decision, I find somewhat problematic. I mean, we don't let kids get tattoos because they're kids and we don't think that they can make the decision for a tattoo, but we'll let them get hormone replacement therapy or do chest binders or do these things that have health consequences. That's another problem is people like to say, oh, you know, hormone therapy, it's like pressing a pause button, which is insane because it's not. You can be pro-hormone therapy or anti, but it's not just a pause button. And to characterize it as that is just, it's not true. I mean, there are lasting consequences from these things. Not for everybody. For some, yeah, you can do it for a while. 
get off and your body just naturally goes on. For other people, you can't have kids. You have hormone issues for the rest of, I mean, these are real problems. Chest binders. They're not, this is not just some inconspicuous thing like, oh, letting your kid wear a skirt if he wants to wear a skirt. And we're letting kids do this, which I don't understand. We, we don't let kids drink alcohol. We don't let kids go off to war, which you could argue 18, you're still a kid and probably shouldn't make that decision. But we do all of these things that are designed to protect children because we recognize that they're just that, they're children. And then it comes to arguably the most important decision out of all of those. And we let the child make that decision. We say, yes, if you identify this way, you can take these things that will alter your body in most cases permanently. And we hope that at 13, you knew enough about the world and about your life to actually understand the gravity of that decision. And suddenly we tell adults that the role of adults and the role of parents is to affirm whatever kids say. Do we say that in any other situation that that's what parents, that's not how parents treat their kids just to go along with whatever their kids. The whole point of a parent is to say to your kids, well, not the whole point, but a lot of what parenting is about, from what I understand, I'm not a parent, is to set boundaries and say, no, I have authority here and I have better perspective and I have more life experience and I'm not letting you do that. My mom sure as hell did that to me. So when we've both been kids, yeah. I think it would be an understatement to say we know how dumb kids are. They're pretty dumb. Yeah. Especially young kids. And they now have this insane power. And the problem is that people don't want to look at it from that objective stance. They want to believe that if a kid says this, it is 100% who they are. And therefore, you should affirm that because you shouldn't try to discourage a kid from being who they really are. And when it's framed like that, yeah. But this is a kid who 30 seconds ago might have wanted to be a dinosaur or who is going through these changes. I mean, that's the thing. I'm obviously not a girl. I'm a guy. But even as a guy, I've heard a lot that girls, when they're going through their hormonal stuff, it's a dicey time and they're not comfortable in their bodies and they go through all of this stuff. So why would you not want to take some testosterone if you hear how great it is and it solves your problems and you feel awesome? Yes, sign me up. And they're kids. I don't understand. Obviously, I don't have kids. I'm 25. But I was a kid. And you can convince kids to do some crazy things. Not saying that anybody's convincing kids to be trans. Not saying that they're not, not going down that road. But kids are susceptible to influence. We could agree on that. It's just weird. It is just a fascinating time to just watch. Just if you could take a step back and look at society and look at what we're doing and where we're going and the decisions that we're making. It's just, it's insane. Can I get off one more, uh, not exactly this line of topic, but the, a different take on the transgender debate. Um, so Sky Celeste came on your podcast twice. Apparently you guys know each other from high school from what I gather. So you guys have that rapport. So it's very good when you, I encourage people to watch that episode. Um, and just, so he came on your podcast as a woman. Apparently now is back to being a man. 
which on a personal level, my response to that is, yeah, he's on a journey. He's on a trip. There are all sorts of zigzags. My personal journey didn't take me to having gender identity transformations, but I had a lot of zigzags in my 20s just trying to figure it out. So on a personal level, I support him on trying to figure it out. The problem becomes on the political level, he sat here in the chair that I'm in right now and adamantly said that if a dude is hitting on him slash her when he, when he looked like a woman in a bar, if a dude is hitting on him looking like a woman at a bar and then is interested and then finds out that he has a penis and is no longer interested because he's a man, because Sky is a man, then that makes the person transphobic. I knew that's where you were going with that. And I'm just like, come on, bro. And then proceeded to, because he is a smart person and is, is somewhat of a nuanced person, not, not to demonize him. And then he said, well, the person to avoid the transphobic charge would have to say, I am only attracted to people with, pe with vaginas, not to say I'm only attracted to women because then Sky adamantly stated, I am a girl. Yeah, but now two weeks later, you're telling us back you're a man. So can you cut other people some slack in the way that they relate to you? They're not following the details of your journey, right? They have their own lives and their own experiences that they're wrapped up in. They're just trying to get laid at the fucking bar, right? They're not you expect them to, to do all these zigzags with you? You barely can stay on course with your own zigzags. Other people are not going to be in on that. Give me a break. Like You have to have a level of awareness to not call people transphobic and to not demonize them when they are not super dialed into every little thing that you're doing. I was pretty annoyed by that. Well, it's a pretty crazy, dis it's a crazy statement to make, saying that if you are not attracted to a trans person, you're transphobic is... So my response usually is, uh, this is what happens on Twitter. When people do that to me, I'll say, okay, I'm transphobic by your definition, but then your definition encompasses a bunch of, your definition of transphobia encompasses a bunch of things that I think are perfectly fine. So fine, yeah, I'm transphobic, but that's not a bad thing. That's the way I resolve it. I'm not going to argue about you, with you about your definition. I'm just going to tell you that I think you're encompassing th attitudes that are perfectly normal. Well, that's an argument you're not going to win. It's just, you guys are just going to be barking at each other the whole time. Yeah. But, but, what, but I'm asking activists to please have some, what's the word? Compassion? Yeah, just have some self-awareness that the rest of us, yes, the rest of us go on simplistic definitions. When we say we're interested in women, we mean cisgender women that have been women their whole lives and were born with vaginas. Yes, that's what we mean. And that's perfectly fine. Right. So, 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 so just chill out. And so anyway, that, that aspect, when I, when I saw that he, because he got shortly after your conversation with him, there was a big write-up about him in the Lost Coast Outpost. And I'm sure the Lost Coast Outpost is respecting pronouns, right? And the Lost Coast Outpost re referred to him as he a month after he came on your show as a she. So I'm like, oh, then I, saw, then I saw him get an award at the city council for being the artist of the year, for being a drag performer, at which he says, oh, well, I'm, I, I'm a, I use he when I'm normal life, but she when I'm in drag. All that I'm fine with. I'm not tripping on it. Like I said, it's his personal journey, and I want to support people. Life is hard, and figuring out your identity is hard. 
It's just that you've got to understand that the rest of us are not following along on all the intricacies of your gender journey. Please. That's my statement. It's almost like we have a compassion issue. And I, I haven't figured out a good way to phrase that because compassion issue isn't the best, but we're almost so compassionate that we're hurting people in the process. Does that make sense? Like in doing this, especially the pronoun game, we're just going a little too far. You cannot be an asshole and accidentally misgender somebody and say, well, I'm sorry. Okay. This is what you want to go by. Okay. Well, okay. You can do that in your life. Whether somebody abides by that or not, it's not the end of the world. You identify as a girl and somebody calls you a guy. Well, just, just keep going on about your life. It's going, not, yeah, going. the world has not ended, but now we have made it so that it is the end of the world. And that that is the worst thing that could happen to you is somebody dead name you or misgender you or do these things when in context, is it really the worst thing? There was no physical violence. Yeah, maybe they were a dick. Maybe they did it on purpose. Okay. Yeah. Let's just maybe not associate with that person then. Like you can take these other steps. It's not this cataclysmic event that we want to make it out to be. Sometimes I think that I'm getting too wrapped up in this stuff because I spend so much time on the internet and this is the hot topic of the day on the internet, which is why I, how I got interested in it. Then it became a local thing in the media. And in, if, if I look at my actual real life, like this issue, like doesn't really, like, I don't talk about this with my friends. Like it's, it's just not, it's just not a big deal, but I just got so wrapped up on it because I am super I, because the news media is really important to me. I mean, I just love working in the news media. I love consuming the news media. I, I just really important to me. It's like my main art form. Um, and this this topic has become just really intense in the news media. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to just be all culture war all the time. It's just that th this, this topic has really blown up. Um, and so I'm probably not going to make any, any other videos about this topic because I don't want to be... Branded as just, yeah, obsessed with this topic. Like, there's a lot more to life in Humboldt County than transgender wars. I'm pretty sure, and drag wars. Um, even though I could dish out takes forever because I was just researching this for so long, for months. This was like the main thing I was working on. I think the only reason I'm invested to the state that I am is because now it affects me doing this. Because I've had videos pulled. I've had stuff struck down for and that's me being you know as middle ground as i can be on most issues getting hit with that and so it's almost like just my presence in some ways has to has to be somewhat aligned in some way or i'm like just my presence is a statement in some regard what was pulled down what was the reason oh i've had so many videos tiktok was the worst one for sure i've had so many videos pulled on TikTok, just in relation to trans issues, trans people speaking on trans issues that might not have been 100% copacetic with the main narrative, pulled. I've had some stuff pulled on YouTube. I haven't had anything pulled on Facebook yet. Facebook surprisingly has been pretty okay with everything. I think I've heard you say that you're a free speech absolutist uh, because this comes up a lot on your podcast. You talk about this. So, what does that mean exactly? You you think that YouTube should just leave up every video that anybody puts up, even in, in gruesome violent crimes, people should they should just leave it up? 
I think the problem is if you don't go down that route, who gets to decide what gets pulled? I think hate speech. Yeah. Pull hate speech. Somebody's like, as defined by the constitution, I think that's, that's should be our metric for the most part. Even, you know, I mean, I've seen videos of people getting shot and stabbed and stuff like that. Should that be on YouTube? You could make an argument. No, it shouldn't because it's violence and stuff. And it's not something we would want to emulate in society. But I would also argue, you know, videos of troops getting shot in wartime or of civilians being blown up by U.S. missiles. Public probably should see that so that we can understand the gravity of war. That's what's interesting about the Ukraine stuff is a lot of it is online. I've seen a lot of videos of people getting blown up. Is that good? Not necessarily. Is that bad? Not necessarily. But according to these platform standards, you probably wouldn't see those. And with in terms of just straight speech, I mean, for a while you could get pulled off Twitter if you did name somebody which is problematic. I don't know that if I'm a free speech absolutist because I'm not 100% sure what that term means. But I am pretty much pro-free speech as long as it's not hate speech. As long as you're not saying, hey, let's go fuck this person up. As long as you're not actively doxing somebody, I think that could be problematic. Posting their address and saying, hey, let's go meet up here and harass this person. That's all pretty bad. But when it comes to ideas, do we really need to censor ideas from people or do we lack that amount of faith in society as a whole that we believe they can't handle concepts? I'm a believer that if it's a bad idea, you counter it with a better one and let it play out and let people come to their own conclusions. I don't think you get QAnon if you are letting ideas battle out in their fullest because I think people would shit on the QAnon people and say, hey, you're being dumb. Like, this is what's wrong with your thing. This is this you're down this rabbit hole and it makes no sense. I think the reason you get something like QAnon is because you suppress it and then people think, oh, they're suppressing it for a reason. There must be some validity. And then some guys go into Pizza Hut with a gun thinking there's kids in the bit. Like you get to these weird places when you start censoring stuff because people think there's validity now. Okay, good. That that is uh, enlightening because that's not quite exactly what I thought you were going to say. So uh, on the specific point of people being blown up at war, not only do I think that should be left up on the internet, but I think the networks on their newscasts should have that. I have, a lot of commentators have um, convinced me that one of the reasons the United States is constantly going on military adventures, although maybe not as much anymore with the rise of Trump, um, but one of the reasons the United States is constantly going on military adventures is because we don't show people getting blown up in war on TV. The networks have an agreement never to show it. We don't even show the caskets anymore. Right. The caskets draped in flag. We show these, we show the big overhead shot of like our missiles landing in, you know, in, in Iraq, you know, and there are these huge firestorms, but it's like all, it's like the wide shot. You, you don't see actual, actual people being blown up. Whereas in Europe, the European press doesn't have that agreement. They show people dying. Like, if, and if their country's government bombs someone, they'll show the people, the victims being killed. Um, and so I've heard commentators say that's one of the reasons the, the U.S. always has support for wars, because people just don't experience it. They, it's, for them, it's, hey, it's, it's a patriotic. It's not a real thing. Yeah. So I didn't think you were going to mention that. But yeah, I, so I agree with that. But the, the, the reason, the whole censorship thing on YouTube, at least, I think started, the first time I ever heard about it, 
was when ISIS was uploading the beheading videos and then ads were rolling and then Coke was saying to YouTube, hey, stop rolling our ads before I, when someone's getting beheaded. So YouTube, just from a capitalist profit-making perspective, was like, oh yeah, well, we, our big partners, you know, it's not like Coke is being super PC or woke or, you know, that's a reasonable request. We don't want our product associated with beheading. You know, come on, it's crazy. So that's, they were just, but, but then, but then they were, they were taking down all these videos that, like you said, were just discussing Islam. Maybe we're criticizing Islam. Come on, you can criticize Islam. That's a subject of it's public discussion, right? So that's where the, the, the kind of gray area happened. At least that's when I first heard about it. Because back then I was watching a lot of commentators who talked about Islam and they were just having, they were just having tantrums that YouTube's demonetizing, taking down their videos when they're, they're not, obviously they're not doing beheadings. They're, they're talking about a religion, which is part of just regular discussion. Well, and the problem with that is it, is it flavors conversation. So like for me, I'm on my last warning on TikTok. Wow. And then I'm, they banned my account. They actually banned it a couple times and then I managed to appeal and say, hey, and we got it back up, but this is my last one. And so now I haven't posted things that I don't deem controversial. I, I don't deem any of what I've posted worthy of of being pulled right mainly a lot of the drag stuff i'm not even the one saying anything it's someone that's affiliated with drag or a person who is transgender saying this and the video still gets pulled because it doesn't align with their anti-attacks on uh, a marginalized group and yet i don't really post on tiktok that much anymore because I don't want to censor myself and say, oh, I shouldn't post this because maybe this will be the one. Right. And TikTok was the platform where I was getting the most traction. That and so imagine that now on YouTube where, oh, I don't want to post this. I don't want to post the Hunter Biden stuff or the mass stuff because I'm going to get pulled. So now nobody talks about it. That, that does suck. That, that, that is not an amazing situation. And that's the situation we find ourselves in is censorship is this weird thing where a lot of people don't care because they're not afraid of being censored. So it's not a problem for them. They don't care. They think censorship is, is good. Okay. So, so in some cases, I think the censorship is obviously ridiculous. When the, when the Hunter Biden's story was censored and, and not allowed to be tweeted about or, or the Facebook posts were taken down, I forget what the deal was. The New York Post Twitter account was suspended. I forget what exactly happened, but any of that, I mean, it just seems totally ridiculous to me. Um, Where do you draw the line with censorship? Do you think you should use it in some cases, but not in others? Well, I I think that YouTube, I, I so I'm, I understand why YouTube has to take down a beheading video. Um, but I'm more or less probably where you are, where I, I would use it very sparingly. No, you can, uh, I mean, I would say you can dead name someone. Uh <laughs> We don't get to erase history because you're having a gender exploration. And I mean, an individual person's former name, I guess, is not that newsworthy. But then again, you're just talking about stuff that happened in public. Anybody can talk about whatever they want. Um, but I, but I, I'm not an absolutist because I understand the beheading issue. Um, and if if people are are like shooting video of themselves, like sexually assaulting women, you know, like it, it can get ridiculous. 
Um, but I do want to see the the deaths in war because I think that has enormous news value. I didn't, I never thought of it within this context, but um, I think that I, and like I said, I think that should be on the network news. We got to show people what's happening. Not fireballs and showing how awesome our air force is that we dropped this bomb. Yeah, but that's a nice fireball. You know what? There's a bunch of kids with their arms separated from their body, their arms over there, their torsos over here. How about showing that? Then we'll decide whether we want to continue doing this. Um, so I don't know. Have you heard about this kid? I think he's in the UK and it's this TikToker and he's making these insane videos. I mean, one of them is he's just walking into random people's houses and sitting down and, you know, saying, oh yeah, I'm here for study groupers and stuff. There was another one where I think it's the same guy. He was, he had a gas can filled with water and was pouring it out on people's cars as they were coming out of like a grocery store, but they obviously didn't know it was water. Right. Have you heard anything about that? No. Uh, that's not censored that's just something you could do well and in this kid's case and he's blowing up as, a, as he's doing blowing these pranks. up so i think he was on pierce morgan and or somebody interviewed him and he said that because he's getting a lot of backlash for doing this and he said the reason that people are attacking him is because he's black not because of the content that he's producing but because of the color of his skin right meanwhile you're doing this crit he did one where he like picked up some lady's dog and just walked off and the lady's screaming about her daughter. Like, this is how crazy, I guess this is a bit of a tangent, but this is how crazy kids today are, even in this censorship era, where as long as you can be famous, everything's allowed. You can do anything. As long as you're getting clicks, as long as people are watching your stuff, who cares if they hate it or love it, as long as you're getting the views. But meanwhile, we would censor a debate over the Hunter Biden laptop, or over masking, or over Fauci. But this kid portraying these things that universally would be dangerous, pouring gas on somebody's car, now's okay. Censorship is just a weird line. It's uh, just so arbitrary. From what, for the specific pranks that you've just mentioned there, I would say they should not censor that. Because y yes, by leaving it up, you're going to incentivize people to, and, and then it's going to become a, an arms race where the next guy's going to have even crazier pranks and then it's going to start getting into like really dangerous stuff. But just from that, because the, the the core thing that he's doing, he's not actually committing. He he's not sexually assaulting someone. He he he's not burn, burning someone's car. He's not doing anything. Well, I'm not bringing that up to say, oh, we should have censorship. I'm bringing that up to show how arbitrary it is. That here's this guy causing harm in the sense that there was a guy that pulled a gun on him when he was dumping his fake gas on people's cars. He almost got shot because <laughs> you're doing this incredibly stupid thing. Right. Meanwhile, an a calm and civilized discussion about a topic is deemed more dangerous than that. Gotcha. Uh, that that is of, a problem. Yeah. You're right. You're, you're right. That's mean, the world we live in now. Yeah. Uh, oh man, TikTokers. Yeah, the, an arms race and pranks. And that that could be that could be dangerous. Um, no, I mean intelligent conversation and even unintelligent conversation. I mean, you should be allowed. I mean, with these commentators, you should be allowed to criticize Islam in any way you want. I mean, it, it, Islam is an idea. I mean, it's a religion. It, it, it's not even a person that can be harmed. It's just a way of understanding things, like criticizing capitalism or wokeness or anything. I mean, it's just to censor that is really bad. I mean, that 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 was terrible when they were doing that. They were justified in censoring the, the beheading videos, but then when all my commentators that I like were, you know, who are intelligent, were getting censored. Yeah, I was pissed. Yeah, I don't know. I. 
everyone that I've talked to about censorship that is for it, there seems to be a disconnect between the idea that somebody is going to be making that final decision. And while the decision might be on your side today, odds are it probably won't be in the future. And there, there doesn't seem to be an ability to contextualize that to some degree. That, okay, yeah, they're censoring this today. That's great. Let's give them the censorship power. Let's let them wave this magic wand, pull whatever they want. It's only going to be beneficial to us in the long run. Well, I mean, and it's also this argument about, okay, uh, all these social media platforms are private companies. That's the private property. That's another argument. They can do whatever they want. Um, and that argument, I mean, people say, well, no. It, it was alarming when Trump was taken off Twitter. I was like, all right, this is really- As the president it, of the United I mean, States. This is really a massive problem that the president has just been yanked from Twitter. I mean, that this is really bad. Um, I mean, I'm generally private property rights guy, so I am partial to saying, hey, it, it is their company. They can do whatever they want. But I am also sympathetic to, you know, a lot of populists, and, it, and it's populists on both the left and the right that are saying now, no, that this is like a public good, that it's become so important in our lives that you can't just call it private property and say, hey, they can do whatever they want. No, we, ha we have to regulate it. And that is coming from both Republicans and Democrats, some Republicans and some Democrats. They're, it's not just a right-left issue. It's, it's complicated. Um, well, what separates Facebook from a telecommunications company? an internet service provider why should facebook be able to pull your access but you know people can't listen in on your phone conversations and then at&t calls you up and says hey you said this on your phone conversation last week we're gonna pull your service because i thought that the like phone companies and the electric and like the gas and electric companies they are granted a monopoly by the government because they are given the rights to like string their cables on the streets so the government is already in bed with them so the government therefore has the right to tell them, if you want this privilege, we are now telling you, okay, these are the conditions of the privilege because you're using the public right of way to string your gas lines and to string your phone lines. Facebook isn't using public property to do anything. Yeah, but the government's still pretty intertwined with social media. They should be able to pull some strings. They don't want to because it's beneficial right now. Like, you could buy the argument that, yeah, it's a private company. They should be able to do whatever they want if there seem to be some unbiased middle ground that they were taking but that doesn't seem to be the case it seems very directed and structured along a political ideology and, and along a belief structure attached to that ideology and that uh take of yours comes from the twitter files uh the twitter files yeah i mean that it's definitely apparent in that but it comes from i mean it, i think it just comes from you watching who gets polled what gets censored on these platforms. I mean, nobody's censoring hormone therapy for 13-year-olds. Right. Nobody's censoring that. Nobody's censoring all-age drag shows. Nothing like that. But, oh, I mean, I keep going back to, like, the Hunter Biden stuff. Or, I mean, take, take that for what you will. But things that are on the left and are accepted by the left but not by the right are okay. And things that are accepted by the right and not the left are not. You know? And is that because the the people that run these tech companies are themselves on the left, or is it because the deep state is filled with progressives who are 
just kind of the ones who talk to the tech companies. I think it's just a money thing. I think most of these tech companies are in blue states, and so they align more blue. I think there are more people. I mean, aren't there more Democrats than Republicans just on a yes. statistical basis? Yeah. Yes. So if you're trying to appeal to most people, screw the minority, let's do what aligns with them. And most of them want most. I don't even know if I should say most Democrats, but most a lot of people that I've talked to about censorship that are pro it do align left. They're Democrats. I haven't found that as much with people on the right, which I think says something. That is interesting. Yes. I mean, the 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 like free speech movement of the 60s was like centered in like Berkeley among like, you know, hippies who were, you know, women. Left-leaning people. Left-leaning Arguing people. for free speech. Yeah. College it, campuses. It is definitely switched to free speech is definitely like the mantra of the right at this point. Which is fascinating has that that has changed. It is fascinating. It, it, it That has definitely been a big switch. And I don't know why. You You had this group that was adamant about speaking your mind and speaking truth to power and doing all of these things in college campuses being the grounds for free speech and now it's just flipped on its head like nope it's not free speech it's speech that we agree with that can be said i i have to go back and read so i have this commentator the commentator that i'm like my number one guy right now is this guy richard hananya do you know who he is Mm -mm. so he's got a sub stack he's uh he's a former college professor who left universities because like a lot of people decided you can't actually do like open inquiry in universities um he's a great writer he's got really interesting takes all the time and he's he's got this one uh he put up this one post i think it was called like why liberals run everything or he was trying to explain why liberals dominate the culture and why they dominate the media and why they dominate the the uh, like universities uh i don't remember the specifics of his of his argument i'm just free associating but i know i have to go back and read that post because it's relevant to what we're talking about how progressives take over everything um i'll have to check that out yeah yeah um anyway yeah richard hananya he's richard hananya he's he's an interesting commentator because i i don't know I, I don't have an explanation yeah you're right democrats are the majority but not by so much um so I don't think that's a good enough explanation. I mean, yeah, there's statistically like, I don't know, there, there's like four percentage points more Democrats than there are Republicans. Yeah. I don't think it's the sole issue. I think some of it stems from the issues themselves and the aligning on that. Because I think it, I, I, I don't know. It's just fascinating that the group that arguably was the most behind it now seems to be so anti it in some regards. And how that shift happens, I don't know. Well, I mean, and also in a larger sense, um, you know, and people, people have pointed this out, but to a certain extent, like Trumpism became the new punk rock. Like Trumpism gathered the energy of people who were angry at the establishment and angry at the corporations. And, and this was on the right, which was weird because, you know, punk rock is supposed to be on the left, right? You're supposed to be a radical. You're on the left. But with the rise of Trump, it just, it's one of the many ways that it, it just, things shifted. Um, and I, I find that really interesting when people say that, that MAGA is the new punk rock, because I, I see it in a lot of, it does manifest in a lot of ways, even like Donnie, cause Donnie is like such a, 
he's a very good embodiment, I feel, of MAGA. And and when they were talking about actually their political beliefs, it was like the second half of the conversation with Lady Liberty and Donnie. It was it, when he actually got into like why he supports Trump. I thought it was it was quite interesting and good, and it was an insightful conversation. But his kind of like, you know, confrontational, antagonistic, everything sucks is like, you know, it, it it's not the it's not conservative because conservatives want to like preserve. They want to conserve what we have and they don't want much change. He wants change, right? He, he's fuck the man, you know, he's, he's very aggressive. So it's, it's interesting how that, that has shifted. Do you think that in 2024, Trump's going to win? You had to make a bet, put it all on red. Um, I have no idea. Um, I hope DeSantis gets the nomination. I'm much, I mean, I'm not going to vote for Trump. I'd probably vote for DeSantis. Um, I don't, I, it looks right now, DeSantis looks like he's doing terrible. Uh, his, his announcement on Twitter flamed out from everything I've read. Um, so he, he, it looks like it is going to, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. What's your prediction? I have no take. I have no take. I don't know. I think that, I don't know. I mean, people love him. People, people love him or they hate him. I, it, I find it alarming from the left perspective that the DNC just basically said, no, we're not holding debates. Biden is our guy and we're going to ride with him till the end. I find that kind of alarming. Yeah, that, that was bad, even just from a public relations standpoint, because people are just like, oh, here we go again. You know, that, that was, yeah. But, but. On a practical matter, it doesn't matter. Obviously, he's going to get the nomination. So it, it's not like it changed anything. Oh, we screwed RFK. Was RFK going to get the nomination? No. So who cares? What do you make of him? Um, uh, some people who I like are kind of supporting him. But from what I understand, he's somewhat of a crazy person and has been saying crazy things in his, his whole life. And he got one thing right, which was COVID. You know, he, he said some true things. I think he went a little bit crazy on other takes. He got some things right about COVID, but that doesn't, okay, good. You're one for your last 66. Like that doesn't, uh, I'm not with you because you got one thing right, even though I'm, uh, that one thing is important to me. But I admittedly have not followed what he's doing and saying in his whole career. I've just read various little commentary pieces. What about you? I haven't dug into him as much as I should. I like his COVID stance. He does think that the CIA whacked JFK, which I do kind of, I kind of align with that. Okay. I don't know. I think, I mean, we can't, the fact that they're trying to stump for Biden this hard when, I mean, if you just watch him for a few minutes, watch him give a speech, watch him walk around, he's struggling. People don't like to bring up the age thing because for whatever reason, to acknowledge somebody's age now is ageist, but the guy is not doing great. I mean, at what point do we consider this elder abuse? Just propping him up, letting him do his thing up there, and then hiding him away. You could, e even if you're a Biden fan or, you know, you just hate Trump and you would accept anybody, the fact that Biden and Trump are our two main guys right now is pretty, 
pretty sad it's for a, us as a country. It's a disaster. When I said that, that I would support DeSantis, the main reason is because of Biden's age. I just, I just, he's, it's obvious that he's having trouble. He's going. And, he's going. And, you, and people cannot, don't want to acknowledge that. I mean, the election isn't for another year and a half. That's another year and a half of decline. And then you're talking about four years after that. And God forbid he dies and Kamala Harris is the president. Yeah. What does that look like? That. It, it's just a crazy scenario, but it's it's realistic, and we we got to stop doing this. We got to. I I don't think other countries do this where their two candidates are are in their seventies. What is going on? What is going on? I don't I don't see other countries doing this. Like, at least one of the candidates is usually like in their forties and fifties. I don't know what our deal is. There's got to be some sort of like psychological breakdown of what's we have parent issues. We have daddy issues right now as a country. We're just apparently we're struggling. But but it hasn't always been like this. Like it's not like the it, it's not like the candidates have always throughout American history been in their seventies. It's 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 been normal. We've been like other countries, and now we have this seem to have this problem. Um, yeah, just just being that old. It's at least with Trump, you could make the argument that he seems there, and he seems like he's got more energy. Biden is just. I know a ton of people that don't even want to acknowledge that he's struggling. If they're like, nope, he's our guy. He's doing great. He's got our vote. I w- I do think that if you compare, and I've seen videos where basically they compare the way Trump behaves now to how he was when he was younger, and no, I think there is a difference. Um, now, I don't think the decline is as intense as Biden because he's basically, but he's not, he was a much better speaker when he was younger. Like now he he's not able to speak quickly and consecutively and make coherent points. And now we just accept that about him. But back when he was young, he was able to do that. He was he was a much better speaker when he was young. So I do think there has been decline in, uh, for Trump. I just don't think it's as much as Biden. Yeah, I would buy that. And with Biden, the cra- not to just shit on Biden, but I'll take my second here. Everybody just knows that he openly plagiarizes speeches done it for a long time, lied about random shit, and yet the left tries to take the stance of we are the arbiters of truth and justice, and the figurehead for the party is this guy that just lies about everything. He's like the George Santos, but not quite as bad. And so we're just going to kind of brush everything aside. Plagiarizing MLK speech, like all this crazy shit, lying about where, like graduating with credentials or some shit like that, and it's just not talked about. But if that was Trump, we would be beating him over the head with that. Do you think he's intentionally lying or is he just kind of losing it and kind of getting confused and just kind of like having a jumble? No, he's lied back when he was like well put together. There's tapes of him lying just about shit to make (laughs) himself sound better. I think that's just grimy political stuff where you just lie. And back then you could lie because there was no internet. Where I, there were a couple of videos where he's younger and he's lying. So, but I think that's just the era that he grew up in. Is you're just a politician. I mean, the guy ran for president how many times? Three before he actually won. I, did he run for the first time? Was it like when was the first time he ran? It wasn't '88, was it? I think it was even before that. I think it might have been. I don't know. I get confused. I don't with know. This I want to say he's run like three times. Yeah. And you got to think you ran three times and you couldn't do it. Right. And that's back when you were a little more spry. And then we just kind of funnel you into this position. Not so much that you were the ideal candidate and you were what the country needed, but because you weren't this other guy. 
that was running. That was the only metric he were judged on. Is he Trump? No. Okay, he's got our vote. That that's that was pretty much the the reason I voted for him. Yeah. Have you seen the uh, the TikToker who's really good at doing uh, Kamala impressions? Mm-mm. Oh, dude. Yeah. They're, they're, when I first discovered her, I was I was just watching her on loops. I was watching. Have the same... you listened to her give a speech? She yeah. She, she just makes no sense. It's, it's painful. Like, it's like what are you talking about? Um. She's she's just yeah. She's just making no sense and and just saying a lot of words but not actually saying anything. But all the time, um, yeah. And and this impressionist does a good job of capturing that. Um, but she has all the mannerisms down. She has all the laughs down. She's it's just really good. Um, that could be the next president. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. It's a scary thought. Yeah, we're struggling as a country. We're struggling. Yeah, I mean, uh, unless unless Biden changes his vice president, I mean, he could do that. But I doubt that would. That 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 is just saying that there's a problem, and no one wants to like admit there was there's a problem. I mean, people were speculating that Trump would dump Pence for the for his reelection in 2020. He didn't do that, um, so that's pretty unlikely. But the the reviews of her as vice president have been terrible. I mean that that you know it's interesting how quickly she flamed out. Well, well, well. First of all, she flamed out when she ran for president. She flamed out in the primary. Then she the, she flamed out when Tulsi Gabbard. Brought the hammer down on her in that debate and just crapped all over. Was that? Yeah, I, didn't, I don't remember that specific instance. Was yeah, brought up her career about how she withheld evidence that would exonerate a criminal for labor. Like, just did all this shady shit, locked people up for marijuana, and then was joking about it and saying, "Yeah, I smoked a joint. Who didn't?" That that annoyed just me. shady political shit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and she and she went out bowed out of the race before there was even the first primary or caucus. She was she was a total flame out. And when people were like, when when the kind of campaign season started, she was like the hope of the Democratic Party. You know, black woman, she's gonna kill it. No, she flamed out. Then she got picked for vice president. I was just like, what is going on? Um. So I don't know. But I do. Do people really vote on based on the vice president? Maybe when your candidate's eighty two years old, they do. I don't know. Um. But for me, it's just. you know, DeSantis, like, I I haven't really started following what he's doing that closely. So among the people that I trust, there's there's definitely a split as to whether he's generally good or generally bad. There's definitely some critics who I trust, and then there's definitely some supporters. Um, but in general, he seems to me to meet a minimal level of competence, and he's in his 40s, not his 80s. And that's a big deal to me because I want someone who can do the job and be organized and delegate and manage and, you know, run. It's kind of a big job. It's important. And kind I of important. I don't want an 80-year-old man doing it. I, I would trust him in his mid-40s. If it's Biden or Trump, I dislike Trump so much that I would go with Biden. But if, if DeSantis, to me, seems to be passing my minimal test of, okay, this guy's fine. I feel like that's a little ageist of you. It's very ageist. But uh, age is a reality. Well, what do you want me to do? I can't pretend that someone is, is not declining when they're obviously declining. Yes, it's ageist. Sorry. It's a weird time. Yeah. It is a weird time. Well, Eric, we can we can wrap this up, man. We put in some time here. Obviously, I had a great time. I was doing your on, man. We'll have to do this again. Hopefully not at a six-month interval. We'll bring you back on a little quicker than that. Well, thank you for bringing me back at all. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. This was a lot of fun. Do you want to plug all your stuff where people can find you, your YouTube channels, articles? Yes. So uh, my... Facebook is Arcada News, and people can watch my video, which again, the latest one was about 
the controversy over all ages drag in Humboldt County and how the media, I analyzed how the media is reporting on that story, which I don't think the media is doing a very good job. And I tried to demonstrate why in the video. So that's at Arcata News on Facebook. Uh, I also have the same videos on YouTube. Uh, Arcata News is the channel on YouTube. And then if by some chance we have people who are news reporters, especially TV news reporters, and they want to get better at writing stories, my YouTube channel is TV News Writing Tips on YouTube, TV News Writing Tips, where I produce um, journalism tutorials where I help you write better TV news scripts. Okay. Eric Black, a lot of fun, man. I always appreciate this. We're out. See you next time. <laughs>